Welcome to episode 35 of Zapped to the Past. My name is Adrian Mills and I am joined as ever by Graham Radding. If you have not listened before, where have you been? Well, anyway, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We're using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we're going to be looking at October 1986 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 18 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in UK music. Graham, wave us on board the cruise ship of delight and tell us what's coming up. In this mahoosive, deep-filled steak and ale pie of an episode, we bravely enter the topsy-turvy and somewhat licky world of Iridis Alpha for some brain-scrambling action. We pop and see what the other less well-known and ploddy Erinaceae relative of Sonic is up to in Spiky Harold and declare war on the bitty bass relief landscapes of the sonically unusual, um, war. We also explore who did what in the baffling clutter em up nonsense world of Hoodoo Voodoo, dive into the techno world of yet another droid and seek game with Equinox, before taking 11 minutes to go full Kubrick 2001 mode and then drug some scientists in the mesmerising parallax. If that pie filling didn't have quite enough meaty chunks for you, we also play a round of blocky budget golf in the Cheapskates Parade Open. With hole-in-one, get options and parameters overload in the selection screen madness of two-on-two basketball, before finally dressing in our best wizardy robe grabbing our elements, testing our spells and preparing our inner golems for the brilliant maestroom world of Druid. There's a lot of pastry on this pie, Adrian. A lot of pastry. Succulent. Right, Graham, (laughs) tell us about Iridis Alpha. (laughs) That's succulent. (laughs) Succulent. So have you ever ever desired to be called Gilby? Because you are now. Hello, Gilby. Uh, Yeah, I have. Loads of times. In Iridis Alpha, you play a robot called Gilby and you've got to free Iridis Alpha, a place of all of the badness, all of the unwanted people that live there. uh, Not live there because that wouldn't be the same thing. Just kill everyone. So you do that by shooting them and if you shoot them, they give you energy and you've got to avoid colliding with them because that takes energy away. So you can eventually gain your lost health. So it's a shoot up essentially. So you gain any lost healthy so it's controlled by the joystick left and right it's very fast very kind of frantic and it's actually the screen's kind of split into two i'll come back to that in a moment so this is a, the jeff minter game so it's as you can imagine with all the other jeff minter games we've talked about crazy color crazy kind of antics crazy sprites crazy 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 you know zing zang what crazy so the idea of the game is to sort of uh is to get rid of the aliens on these different worlds and eventually the screen splits into two and so you start in control of the upper screen and you can actually when you get further into the game flip between the two screens so the top screen is left right the bottom screen is kind of upside down in world but the same kind of control enemies on both sides and you've got to make your way through these waves of enemies and eventually sort of controlling the different versions of the screen so on the surface of it this is kind of a very fast paced shmup shoot em up i'm not sure 
there's anything really like it. Defender is the closest thing I could say that it was. It was a. It's a Defender-like-ish, you know, in terms of the way you kind of shoot and the ship you control is kind of a little kind of kind of ship arrow, kind of a ship arrow, and you get all these different enemy types flying at you, different waves. So it's kind of Defender-y. There's a lot of I th- I thought there's a lot of detail and thought in this game that's kind of missed, I think, and I'll explain why that is in a minute. So you've got to strike a balance here between shooting enemies to gain energy and sh- and colliding, uh, sorry, colliding with them to lose because you've got to keep your energy in balance. If you get too much energy, you're dead. I don't know if I like that idea <laughs> in a game like this because it's kind of crazy to control. So, um, so you c- in this game, you can't just go in there and kill everything. So you've got to think about that. So that's kind of the game. Nice graphics, nice presentation, very Jeff Minter. So expect it to be a bit psychedelic. I thought it had a, quite a nice UI. The sprites are quite nicely sized and designed. It's very nippy, very fast, very arcadey feel to it. But it's arcadey and then it's kind of not. So um, the animations and the sprites and the pace are just kind of frantic and mad. And you've got two <laughs> game modes when you start. Um, easy and hard, or as I prefer to call it, impossible and more impossible. <laughs> yep. So it's complex and it's a technically clever game. And we say this about every Jeff Minter game. They're all technically really clever, but I sometimes think that he loses... I don't want to sound overcritical. I sometimes feel that the the player is lost in the technicality of the game. Amazing to look at, but impossible to really go too far in. So I thought this was... I'm not sure how far you'd get in a game like this. I think the idea of it, because it's toned down Defender and it's kind of got that dual split screen, you actually convert... If you jump on the ground, you can regain your energy and it converts to kind of a spider creature and it kind of gravitationally shoots out things. And I'm not sure that that part's fully fleshed out. I'm not sure that it really is beneficial to you to be that spider other than you gain energy points, I think, if you've lost some by doing that. But you're constantly under attack by this variety of ships, some of which are nigh on impossible to avoid and horribly difficult to get rid of. Liquor ships spring to mind there. And which are these kind of ships that turn from turn to dots to their faces with just like tongues that go... Which is horrific in any capacity. So suppose that's the game in a nutshell nice sprites nice design very fast very sort of clever very very jeff mintery did i like it this time now i never really liked to this alpha i don't i'll be honest i don't like a lot of jeff minter games because i find them a little bit psychotropic i mean i start playing them and then before too long i'm going into sort of um crazy you know i'm blinking a lot more than i normally do and i'm like Ooh, and getting a bit you know the end of 2001 kind of vibe and i'm Ooh, freaking out and there's different colored images on my face <laughs> so i'm getting it I'm, I'm, go, I'm going you know full-blown full um, what, what are you doing graham <laughs> what are you doing i'm going full-blown dave mode at that point <laughs> Um, so I find them a little bit overwhelming, I think, is and now as a as a you know as a mature adult, I find them a bit more overwhelming. But I thought I'd give it a bit more of a chance. So I tried to get more into it. It's still inc- insanely difficult. It's still very difficult. I sort of admired the complexity that had been tried to add with the dual screens and everything else. But in spite of all the difficulty and then the insane complexity and the idea that this is more than just kill everything, I found that underneath all of that, there is a really nice game here. I can see why it got ninety five percent in zap apart from the fact that you know there's a bit of jeff mintery patting on the back and hey you know keep writing the column mate wink wink um i think there's a little bit of that here i don't know that it's 95 percent sizzler material maybe it is i i don't i it's such a difficult game to judge i liked playing it this time and i got quite into it i didn't get as far as i thought i might bearing in mind that i'd really tried i just found it insanely hard my question then became was it worth the difficulty and the spikes and the playing to would i have persisted with this should i have persisted with it more than i did back in the day when i didn't really and i just found i couldn't i found it just really hard um as soon as the liquor ships appeared my 
game was kind of over every time and it didn't really get much further than that. So I think the Dirka ships aside, if you want to play a good shoot em up that's a bit different, play this. Just don't expect to get really far into it unless, you know, I don't know if there's even a learning curve for this. What did you think? Because I, 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 I like it, but I don't. I don't know. It's really weird with Iridis Alpha. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. Okay. So Iridis Alpha, what have I put? I put this as a fast-paced split-screen shooter with a very clever central conceit that is ultimately let down by the Lickers. It's the worst enemy ever designed in a video game. <laughs> you always hated them. I hate them. So I did actually get past them this time, right? So anyway, so, so there is a lot to like here. It's fast, vibrant. It's you know, It sounds great, challenging. But for me, time and time again, it's all for nothing. When you just get to the yeah. third wave, get stuck by a couple of liquors and just die repeatedly. It happens time and time again. It's the one game of Minters that I, I always wanted to really like. Because I, ninety five percent, you think yes, yes, I should, yes. should give this a crack, and I can see that there's a great game in here. But <sighs> those liquors, I come back to them every time. I watched a YouTube video of kind of what to do with them, and, and I tried, and I, and yeah. I did, I did, I got, I got past them, got yeah, to the same, fourth stage, same. got to the fourth stage, and then it starts to flick back and forth between yeah. the because obviously Which is very clever. It is very very clever, and every time you shoot something, go through one of the bits of energy, yeah. um, because it's a mirror image. You've got a mirror image of the game on the on the top yeah. and the bottom. So clever. Um, go, going in different directions. So when you shoot something, once you get past the third stage which is the, the liquors and you go through a bit of energy it flicks so you're then controlling the bottom stage so you, your controls reverse yes at first that's absolutely 100 terribly confusing so i was like oh my controls oh no i'm controlling the thing at the bottom okay so then the one at the bottom is now in and the, but that's at level one so the one at the top is at level four on the mm. fourth stage of enemies the one at the bottom is at level one yes now what this means is that as you keep flicking between them, level one at the bottom goes to level two. Level two. Remember, the, the controls are it's very fast and the controls are reversing every time you switch between the two worlds. Yes, they are. So then you get to the liquors on the lower screen. And at that point, it's just game over. <laughs> not only have you got the worst enemy ever designed, but you've got them with reverse controls. <laughs> did you not just turn your joystick upside down? Oh, no, well, I turned the whole room upside down. That's what I did. <laughs> I just went into it, you know, it was just ridiculous. I always wanted to like this, but I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> I always did. I always will. And I've, as you well know, we've talked about Aerodis Alpha loads of times before because it, we know it's a well-respected game and it's always come down to the third wave. It's come down to the liquors. I can't do them. And right. I, I tried and I gave this a really, really good crack. And like I said, I got past them and it was the furthest I'd ever got because at the top, I think I got to like the fifth or sixth wave. But then I got to the third wave on the bottom and it was game over and I was just yeah. trying into my joystick and uh, just <laughs> try, tried again, tried again. And I went, no, you know what? I'm just going to like this from afar. <laughs> I'm a rat about uh, that saddle. <laughs> <laughs> I was right about those liquors. <laughs> they just don't want things that lick you, stick into you. It's horrible. It's a horrible thought in any walk of life. <laughs> What's just... cracking me up is that I know how much you've always hated them. <laughs> yeah, because this isn't me just sort of going off one of the... We've, I've said this for 30-odd years. Well... I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> so um, I was hoping that, you know, I'd have some kind of epiphany this time. But no, I still hate them. They're still awful. I hate them. I know what they were thinking. There's no... The problem is, is that there's no... It's, it's not a difficulty spike as much as a difficulty mountain it is that's that was my complaint i, I thought and, and it's, could it you get better at it? yeah could you get better at this is why given enough play time could you get better at this and i think actually in the first yeah, three levels you could but the first three levels yeah as soon as you get those liquor ships all bets are off because you can't get any better because you can't avoid them so yeah i watched a video of someone and all, all you've got to do is just keep flying to the left spin every now and again and shoot behind you yeah yeah and then they die but at that point then it becomes boring and not re not reaction mm. reflex based which is what uh you know a defender game should be i mean even defender even things something like drop zone with those wiggly things were not this bad this needed someone to just step in and go jeff jeff no 
No, mate. No, get get, get rid of those liquors. You've Jeff. got a great game here. Jeff. But you're, you're ruining it with that. Because there's all the other stuff, like the pause modes, yeah. the extra bonus levels. Yeah. There's loads in this game. And I'm just denied it by those stupid liquors. <laughs> Damn them. I can, I'm sensing a letter to Jeff. Dear Jeff, <laughs> I know that your favourite meal is chips, but besides that... <laughs> So, Iridis Alpha, uh, yeah, liquors. I can't say anything more because I just don't like them and I I never will. And there you go. That's 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 my take on Iridis Alpha. Okay. Does that mean we recommend it or not? I think people should play it and just experience being licked by a ship for themselves. Well, I'll tell you what, just if you you want to experience this sort of thing, if you've got anybody around you while you're playing a game, just get them to lick you constantly (laughs) while you're trying to play the game. If you like that, then you're probably going to get on with Iridis Alpha. If you don't, then don't bother. Well, especially if they lick you to death, that's a whole different. Yeah, and they won't get off. No matter how much you run around your living room or anything, they just won't get off you until they lick you and lick you and lick you. That sounds like sounds like my dog. I don't want any of that. No, she never leaves you alone. It's like no. Okay, so yeah, here it is, Alpha. Rating though, ninety five percent Sizzler. Yeah, I could get it. They they probably got. I don't know. He probably gave them a cheat code. (laughs) Yes, here's the anti liquor poke. Yeah, absolutely. Ew. For a moment there, I thought it said the anti-liquor Pope. <laughs> I'm not sure what, who or what that would be. Oh, in Domini Patri liquor. In Spiritu Licky Sancti. <laughs> oh no, he's in his Pope mobile. He will lick you. <laughs> he will lick you, yes. The, the lickiest Pope we've ever had. He, need, he licks oh. a lot. Get him some stamps, for God's sake. <laughs> Brilliant. We're just sending so many letters. To, all, to, all to Jeff Minter to take him out of this bloody game. Because he is like the lickiest Pope ever. Okay, well, there you go. That's it. There it is, Alpha. There you go. It is better, though, than what's coming up. Yes. And it, is for, it is good. It's just argh, that level. Anyway, there you go. Here it is, Alpha. Let's move on. To the next one. So this was a budget title. This was a budget release, £1.99. And it's got 48%. And this is Spiky Harold. Mm. So long before Sonic was a spark in Yuji Naka's eye, um, Spectrum and Anstrad owners got to call the hedgehog their creature of choice. And he was called Harold, Spiky Harold. And he was a jumping, cave-exploring, flick-screen, platforming hedgehog. That's what he is. That's what this is. The eight Monty Mole is Spiky Harold the Hedgehog. Yay! <laughs> he is Spiky Harold, yes. The problem was that... It was a bad game (laughs) (laughs) on the uh, Spectrum and the Amstrad. And then the C64 got its own version, only slower and crapper, and it was a worse game. (laughs) Hedgehogs aren't known for their speed, are they? You're not going to make a... Well, that's Sonic, though, but he's a special hedgehog. (laughs) He doesn't come from this world. He wears trainers. And he has um, too much of a penchant for rings. He does. He, he, he is like the proper ring lover, isn't he? He loves the ring. He Apart from the ring, the ring film, which he watched, and then seven days later, he was, uh, <laughs> he was, he was completely messed up. <laughs> oh, Sonic pulling that death face. Yeah, he like, spins, spins it around in a chair, and this Sonic going, it's like, oh, God, uh, the graphics have gone wrong. <laughs> Tails? Knuckles, what you done? <laughs> Knuckles, I'm not sure what you've done to poor Sonic, but undo, undo. He's seen why Big the Cat is called Big the Cat. Um, (laughs) Do you know there's a a rabbit in uh, the Sonic games called Cream the Rabbit? I didn't know that, and now I feel burdened with that (laughs) horrific knowledge. Cream the Rabbit. Oh, my gosh. If if, if we need an episode title, (laughs) there it is. (laughs) Anyway, so what are we doing? Yes, uh, Spiky Harold. So, yeah, so this is a... It looks like a Spectrum game. It looks like an Amstrad game. It's single-colour high-res sprites. It's slow. 
It's turgid. It's boring. For some reason, to try and make you think that this was a better game, they stuck a mighty bog tune on the title screen, mm. which is actually quite good. But they didn't change anything else. Terrible sprites, terrible controls. It's awful. It's really slow, and the the, the jump is way too big. It is. You know, <laughs> hedgehogs don't jump that much, but this one, it's, you know, maybe it could be, should be called Jumpy Harold or Bouncy Harold <laughs> because his jump is massive. He and, does and have a large so, jump. Yeah, and because it's so slow... All the objects, the things that are floating around the cave, manic minery style, just kill you because your jump is so slow and uncontrollable. Oh, I don't know. I call this pure hedge dog egg. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Not going <laughs> to argue I with thought. that. Yeah. Uh, you know, two, two quid, two pounds too much. This was a bad, poor... They could have, you know, they could have looked at what was wrong with the... Um, I'm trying the Spectrum version because I went and had a look at them online, went, went, went and watched the YouTube and it was just the same. They literally looked just the same, just got that Spectrum look or Amstrad look to them. But nothing's been done to change this. And, it, you know, they could have looked at it and gone, the, the jumping's crap. Why, why don't we make it better? Yeah, um, they could have done that. No, um, no, but they didn't. They just changed nothing and no. stuck with a bad game. Yes. So that's what I thought. What did you think? Same, same, same. It was, a, I've, I put it as a um, scoff em up. Because the idea is you scoff up enough food, isn't it? In 20, yeah, yeah. You've got 24 hours to eat as much food as you can before you hibernate, which is depressing. What a depressing premise for a game. <laughs> Just eat as much food before you go to sleep. Well, that pretty much sums up my fucking working life. <laughs> you know, I don't need a reminder of that in game format. I will bleep out that swear word. It just slipped in there for no reason. Um, but yeah, so... Pure, pure anger in that. It, it, it just was. It's just frustration. So there's nothing enjoyable about this game, is there? I, I thought it's a flick screen platform game. Okay, slow. Okay, so it's slow, but painfully slow. The nasties on each level, you've got 20 lives. You start this game with 20 lives. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, why have I got 20 lives? Yeah, I thought the same. Why? Thought, why? And then I realised why, because it's just stupid. The game logic is stupid, yeah, because you lose you them. You lose for, them every second. Yeah, you lose them for anything, you know. And it's the, if you imagine this this was a choose-your-own-adventure book, it'd be every page you turn to would be death. So you, <laughs> you start on page one and go, you are Spiky Harold. What would you like to do? Would you like to eat some food or would you like to go for a walk? Page two or three. Page two, you are dead. Page three, you are dead. Oh, great. Okay, <laughs> go back to page one. Um <laughs> So I just found it was it was just it was just that logic was stupid. Graphic wise, you know, it's got that reasonably animated hedgehog sprite, I guess. Now the graphics are high res, okay, but ploddy and slow. There is a little bit of flight control with the joystick jump, so you can jump and sort of move him left right if it chooses to let you. Yeah, I'd never let me. No, it's it's like a hedgehog version of Nodes of Yesod, which is downright weird. So Nice sprite design, decent-ish animations, but the pace was just rubbish. And the game premise was stupid. As for the title music, it's not... I don't think it was Mighty Bog's greatest piece of music, um, but Mighty Bog didn't get a lot of... I don't know if he'd done a lot of game music, really. Well, we've got two, we've got two in this section. Well, well yeah. Uh, the good thing is here, though, it led me down a little path, which was to download the Mighty Bog Collection Volume 1, which was one of the... I think... I'm pretty sure when you got a 1541 disk drive, when you put the cables in and powered it up, the Mighty Bog Collection Volume 1 disc just materialised in your... I, I remember having that disc, but not really knowing where I got it from. It was one of the oldest demo discs I had was the Mighty Bog Collection Volume 1 on the B side, the flip side of the disc was some really old demos. A couple of old 1001 Crew ones, and I think I think it might have even had the you know the famous side borders and top and bottom borders, sort of, you know, the, remember the famous ones that we saw. So anyway, so it led me down a path of looking at the Mighty Bog Collection Volume 1, which is actually a really good collection of really early SID tunes, including things like Depeche Mode, Shake the Disease, and loads of cool stuff. And then it made me realise that... 
some of those tunes were the first times I'd encountered some of those songs on that on that list. So if you get a moment and you've got, you know, a C64 emulator and a bit of time, download the Mighty Bog Volume 1 collection. You can get it on the, the CSDB. Have a look at that. Don't really play ever Spiky Harold because you'll just be disappointed with your life yourself you realize that life as a hedgehog is very pointless and then you it will make you want to go out and run them over which you know i'm not saying it's a hobby of mine but no uh, there is a lot of roadkill around here so uh, it's not all mine <laughs> but so uh, zap to the past podcast does not endorse the running over of no, don't, uh, hedgehogs don't, don't crush don't anything do <laughs> under the wheels of a car whether it's hedgehog or human I know there's a big difference between what happens in either instance, but just don't do that. But this game was crap, so don't I've just avoid. One ninety nine seemed stupid as well. Give it for free. It's it's just it felt like a bit of a type. I don't know. I don't know quite quite where they were going coming from with. Who made this game, by the way? I, I didn't write that down. It's not a Firebird uh, game, is it? I don't think it was. Was it? I honestly couldn't tell. It makes you me. About, it, it's uh, probably Bubble Bus or somebody like that. It had a, one of the cheapo uh, labels, isn't it? So it drum roll. Is Firebird. It is well. <laughs> Firebird. Fire course. turd. It's a fire turd game. Of course it is. Because somebody went to Firebird and said, I've made this game about hedgehogs. I went, okay, give us the tape. Out it goes. It was published and available in the shops before he even left that particular meeting. <laughs> it needs to be ported, remember. Exactly. He'd already done that. They just put it through their port machine. No, when he walked into the, into the building, it automatically ported anything that was in his pockets. So that ex- explains at least 10 to 20% of their output. And then um, by the time he left the meeting about agreeing the price and everything else, it was already distributed and available in the shops. It was like, how did you do that? It's like, well, you've been in a coma for three weeks because, you know, we injected you when you came in. Um, you, won't, you won't remember that, of course, but that's just a fire-turd way. So anyway, that's probably how it works. We don't know. We'll never know. And we don't care. Allegedly. Always, always with the allegedly. Always, always. allegedly, right. Always allegedly. Spiky Harold. It's, yeah, hedgehog egg. He- yeah, absolutely. Hedgehog dog egg. Yeah, so it's not very good. Let, let's move along. Come on, as the police say. So, um, what's our next game? Our next game is... Is it War? War. What is it good for, Graham? What is war good for? In this game, absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us again. Yeah. <laughs> war. So, it's it's war. Is it W-A-R? But it's never really explained what that means. I couldn't find out if it was an acronym of something. I guess it probably is. Yeah, I'm guessing it must mean something, yeah. Anyway, so this is war. War is a Eurydium-like shoot 'em up come Mm-hmm. Vessel destroyer come Eurydium alike come. Did I mention it? It's a bit like Eurydium. Uh, made by Tim Rogers of Stoughton Tim Demo Group fame. So this is Tim's game. I don't know if if Stoughton had anything to do with it. So planet Earth is on the verge of being invaded by a group of aliens, and their objective is the conquest of everything. So they approach the Earth with a fleet of twenty big shippy things that contain all of these cities and factories and all of this stuff and then they launch an attack on earth so you are in control of a spaceship that's been sent to destroy each one of these giant spaceship cylinders we could call them space hulks we could call them uh juggernauts we could call them whatever it's called in iridium if you like so the idea is that you've it's a shoot them up essentially shoot them up logic but think iridium you're flying along the surface of a ship being attacked by waves of enemies you can shoot out tiny proportions of the sort of objects on the deck of the spaceship if you like so a bit like the way Warhawk works in that you could shoot the scenery a bit like that and some in some instances a bit like you know some other games that are like that so but in this instance they're kind of tiny little squares on on the ship so there's quite a lot of them and you have to destroy a percentage enough of the ship 
to destroy the whole thing while all the time being attacked and there's various things so you fly right i don't remember a way you can't turn around like you can in iridium can you in this or at least i couldn't no all you could do is uh back up like uh, yeah so you can reverse uh, can't you (laughs) beep beep yeah this spaceship is is reversing (laughs) reversing yeah i was expecting to hear that (laughs) so you're flying along shooting enemies that can sort of Coming waves, shooting at the deck. You can sort of, I don't think you can take off and land in this one as such, can you? So it was kind of, and, and there was a really weird, nice effect where you could sort of go underneath the spaceship and find it. I'm not really sure what the purpose of that was other than to well, avoid you the to, enemies. Well, no, you have to do that because once you've shot enough for the, the pointless dots on the spaceship, you've got to go into the exhaust port and then you oh, go to the mini game. Which get, yeah, so you flip underneath and then it's that black square that you'll yeah, go past right, at some right, point. Right, 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 I, so you flip underneath. Yeah, Did yeah. you not get past the first level? No, no, I didn't. I just oh, right. <laughs> because I couldn't figure out exactly what, which I made a point of saying I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do once I'd blown everything up. Yeah, um, you, go, you, flip, you flip around. So you you damage the cylinders and blow them up once with enough and then you go to the next one so in a similar way to in a similar way to iridium i felt like this was a interesting enough shooter it had a really weird vibe about it and i think that's because the sound design is really unusual in this game so the sound designs the interstitials the in-game music the game music everything is by rob hubbard mm-hmm. the war music is very strange very unusual not quite what you'd expect for this kind of thing but doesn't mean it's good because it is kind of in it's kind of quite clever and quite an interesting piece of music so you've got this amazing piece of well i say amazing this great piece of music in the game in game this kind of nice when you die you get this nice kind of, and you kind of get this sort of it's got a lot of production value the graphics look quite nice the feel of the game is okay. There's a mini game in the way you have to sort of hack. It's like a color game. I couldn't, I, when I got, did try that part and get to these various parts, more by luck than judgment, I have to say with any of this stuff, I didn't quite figure out what I had to do and I kind of failed the hack. And, I, and that was kind of the point where I switched out of the game. So I thought the premise of the game was quite interesting as a shooter. Graphics were quite nice, but it felt like a kind of, it kind of a Eurydian ripoff and a bitty one at that and not that much fun. The music was interesting, but it almost felt like that it was the music to another game. It sort of fitted this game, but didn't. I'm not quite sure where and what was going on in terms of its composition. I've actually spoken to Rob Hubbard about the music for War, and he told me it was his, one of his personal favourite compositions of his own. He really likes War and still does. Hence the reason why it was he, he recomposed it impersonally for the 8-Bit Symphony when he did all that. So the music and the sounds are all good. The graphics are nice. I just think the game's lacking the kind of cohesion that made me really want to play it to the point where I thought, well, if I'm going to play a game like this, I'd rather play Iridium because Iridium feels a bit more complete and a bit mm-hmm. more coherent and a bit more logical. This felt like it had all the component pieces of a jigsaw that weren't quite connecting. It almost felt like it was six pieces from different jigsaws that you, know, you might fit together in some kind of picture, but it's not going to be the picture that it's meant to be. Uh, and so... I just that kind of tuned me out of that and it was quite difficult as well because you know there's parts that make should have made sense it made it would have it felt like and i think because i played iridium before this I f- it felt like i should always be able to turn my ship around yep. and because i couldn't uh-huh. i found myself thinking i'll just turn around oh, i can't i don't quite know why they didn't allow that it seems really stupidly illogical to but i think that would have been at that point a blatant ripoff of Eurydim. i wonder if that would have been a, a step too far so i felt like it was it was nice good music war isn't one of my personal favorites it's quite interesting but it's not one of my favorites it was also by the way before i just uh to jump off with this particular game war was the last piece of music that i used in a demo with joe the coder in uh, s express before we decided to quit the whole thing altogether so we did actually create a really interesting demo that would never be seen for cyanide 3 which used the war music at the start of that 
other than that, it's a bit of a passing note for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm pretty much on board with you. It takes some doing to make a shooter dull. Um, but like Jurassic Park, they found a way. Um, <laughs> is what I've noted here. You fly, you, and you know, I don't want to be cruel, but shoot 'em up should be adrenaline pumping. They should be fast, and this is none of that. You just I, there's only shoot so the many small. Yeah, there's only only so many small squares I can shoot, and before. I feel like I'm just popping, you know, wrapping paper or, you know, bubble paper. That's what it felt like. It felt like a, yes. a, a, a spaceship yes. made of uh, bubble wrap that I had to pop. So you fly left to right and then in your back up, as I said, like a like a truck reversing every now and again and shoot dots on a, you know, I, th- I thought it, it didn't feel like a spaceship to me either. No. Because it no, didn't no, seem no. any beginning or end. It, it just felt like a some, some bass relief graphics or some bass relief graphics, sorry. And that's all it felt like to me. It just felt like some bass relief squares with some bass relief dots and some grey enemies that would fly about that never seemed to bother you or anything. They didn't seem to do anything. Yeah, the enemies weren't difficult to avoid, really, were they? No, they didn't do anything. I, tend to, I, I was killed by more walls than enemies. Well, there's only two walls on that first level. They tells you about crap I was at that game. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So then, yeah, you flip <laughs> onto the other side, you go into that exhaust pipe or something, and you complete an okay mini game, and then you rinse and repeat, and that's, that's it. Nobody, uh, the mini game is weird. Nobody wants to fly up anyone's exhaust pipe and then rinse and repeat at all. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to do. I do like to call it an okay mini game <laughs> to, prog- to progress. <laughs> it's a mini game. Shh. <laughs> oh dear! I didn't particularly like the sprites either. You've got these because the, the first level is makes use of the brown, but it, oh, looks it was brown. Okay. It's very brown, but it's it's quite okay because of the base relief. So the, the highlights are quite nice, and it's okay. I didn't mind it. It looked metallic enough. Yeah. But then just putting those rubbish grey sprites. The sprites look rubbish. Um, they're all very grey. Yeah, just all shades yeah. of grey. No colour to them. And I just put this. It makes this an unfit game for a cracking Hubbard tune. And have you noticed how medium res fonts, if they're brown, like the the E's always look like cheeseburgers. So so whenever <laughs> whenever it said level. Or anything like that. The E always looks reminds me of a cheeseburger. I've maybe maybe I was hungry and I was playing it. You've been playing Spiky Harold too much. <laughs> <laughs> You're after your food. Right, damn that hedgehog. <laughs> but yeah, and uh, and as for the tune, it's okay, but it does lose itself in the middle a bit. Yeah, it goes wild. <laughs> it goes it goes a bit like um, oh, this I wasn't expecting this bit. Once you get past that bit, it goes to that sort of bam bam. Whatever, that, that sort of weird bit in the middle, and then it well, and then it as it builds primus back. by the sound of it, then yeah, and then it sort of builds back in and comes back. That's actually quite good, but that bit where it stops is like, mm, yeah. No, when, like when Les Claypool stepped in and goes, "Let me give you some advice." <laughs> Rob Hubbard was about <laughs> That was a very good Les Claypool bass impression, I have to say. <laughs> I was supposed to be him singing. <laughs> it, well, it's probably the same thing, doesn't he? He sings like he plays bass. He does. He actually doesn't play the bass. It's just his mouth making all those noises. He does. All all a... <laughs> what was that? You, you, you want a sandwich? Spanky <laughs> <laughs> Harold was walking around. He was eating some food. <laughs> that is a brilliant, honestly. That's going to be the uh, the Primus' next album. They're going to be calling you up. <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it, if they just did a, an album based around rubbish uh, C64 <laughs> games. Well, they did an album based around cheese, so... That is true, and they were sailing those seas of it. Yes. Um, yeah, War, it's just dull. It's, yeah. it's, it's not offensive. It's not bad. It's well-made. Production values are good, but it's just dull. Yep. There yep. you go. Yep. So War, it's not good for anything, really. No. Not in this case. 
I would have rather played War than the next one. <laughs> I'm so glad you got that. Yeah, thanks. What have we got next? Yeah. Hoodoo voodoo. Who does the voodoo like you do the do whatever voodoo? What's that phrase? I can't remember. Now go do that voodoo that you do so well. well that's the one, yeah. What the hell is this title screen? <laughs> yeah, funny enough, my first sentence of my review is, what is this stupid crap? So, yeah, what, do you know who made this, by the way? Um, it's the same person who did Circus Circus. Why did I know you were going to say that? Because <laughs> that's who made it. <laughs> and oh, you looked honestly. it up. I don't know. No, I didn't. Um, I genuinely didn't. I just, oh, I right. just had a, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh my God, this is, it's got the vibe. It's got the Circus yeah, Circus vibe. It has, it has got the Circus Circus vibe. So, and, and what's with the devil face and the music by Bog again? What's, you know. Oh, don't. You know, it was like, you know, I was young and I needed the money. Um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bog. But your music's quite good. Your music's all right. Great. But the game yes. is just is, is crap. So yes, this is Circus Circus. To what you know? What what the person who made Circus Circus did next? So you're up against. There's some plot here. You're up against the forces of Careless Nine and the Bulal Bulal Grops. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the right time to take a drink. And eventually, the ultimate alien presence. That's with capital letters, by the way. That's the name. So to defeat this alien presence, you have to collect seven daggers of power. The seven daggers of Megiddo. I'm sensing a, a an omen vibe. Well, if, if th- that would be a, something to write home about. There's nothing to write home about with this bloody game. No. So what you do, what that consists of, is you move to the left of the this level. So this level, it's a left-to-right scrolling thing where you, I think of some flying person. You're a superhero, mega superhero, galactic superhero or something. Forgive me for not believing that, but you are. You fly to the left <laughs> where there's a brick wall. You pick up a dagger which suddenly appears in front of you then your purpose is to fly to the right while you avoid massive oversized cans of pop for some which just float up from the floor one touch to these massive cans of pop and you die you can shoot them but you can't speed up the scrolling you can't move faster you just move at a certain speed left or right and the cans of pop wobble around in a wibbly wobbly manner which basically means it's so hard to avoid them that death is usually just around the corner inevitable um, inevitable you, there's some you can move behind some of the level graphics which are pretty crap it's single color sprites for you but multicolored sprites for the cans uh, but you know this game is stupid and crap which is a potent combination <laughs> but but true nonetheless and you also you also shoot swords and I don't know why. Sounds None painful. of this makes any sense. Why do you have to get staggers when you shoot swords? <laughs> don't try <laughs> and apply logic. So the only thing I could think of that sort of made me think of that, that I could that was anything like it was imagine Sword and the Sorcerer where that sword, that triple sword he's got, which fires swords out, was just endless. Because that's what this is. He's got the end. He's got the endless sword and the sorcerer sword. <laughs> it didn't end well for him either. No, and just my last comment on this was crap graphics too. An awful game. You know, it, is it better than Circus Circus? Well, it couldn't be much worse, but it's it's still bad. This is a, this was a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, 2.99. I hated it. What did you think? It was utter crap. So that was my take. Yeah. At the point when he wrote down the word Boolagrops, at that point when his <laughs> pen stopped on the final S, that should have been the point when he went, you know, I'm never going to make that because I've written the word Boolagrops and that is nothing. That's stupid beyond belief. Let alone Kerylis 9 or whatever. This was just crap, wasn't it? So pick up the daggers. Yeah. Take them to a wall. It was flicky, bitty, badly drawn graphics that kind of... There was... In level two, you need to find it invisible crosses and garlic. 
They're invisible. So how- <laughs> I, for- I forgot to say as well, once you've got the dagger across to the other side of this level on the right, you have to wait for the door yeah. to open. Yeah, you do. It's boring. Yeah, you've got to wait boring. for the door to open. When you, get well. to le- when you get to level two, you've got to search for something that's invisible. I call that stupid. <laughs> I did say it's stupid, crap and boring. It's a more, more potent combination. It's rubbish. So bitty, badly drawn graphics. I, unlike you, I thought the soundtrack sounded like someone was cobbling a shoe. Um, in the background it was just kind of I'm not sure what that was all about someone hammering at a shoe it was just budget priced bullshit so my final comment was you know uh, who do who don't so uh, just avoid this 27% fiasco of a game erase from time and space if you never live to see the day where this is loaded up on a 64 in front of your eyes you've lived a happy life avoid Mm -hmm. because it's rubbish so no crap 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 do 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 I'd like to think that the guy that made Circus Circus had learned from Circus Circus, but obviously it's a lot. It's a long learning curve. Yeah, he's got you know he's got a you know just just keep working on these games. It's fine to keep working on them and honing your craft. <laughs> just keep them to yourself and your mates. <laughs> don't release them. And yeah. Don't inflict them on people. Don't go into the Bug Bite office and go because Bug Bite, just like Firebird, will have cloned this and released it before you know you, you, the ink is dry on that paper that you've signed to oh, give God, it yeah. to them. So don't do it. It's not. Not no. worth it. So stop it. Don't do voodoo. No, it's garbage. Why was it even called Hoodoo Voodoo? I don't know. I couldn't work it out. Because it's no, it's nothing to do with voodoo. There's no Haitian zombies wandering around in this game. Hoodoo Voodoo would could have could have arguably been the working title for Ghosts and Goblins more than it is for this weird game. Yeah. It does look like he gets better with some of these later games. I mean, he's about to do Airwolf 2, so we'll see what that's like. Oh, God, no. I've just, I think I've just had a poop. And is it quite what, Defenders of the Earth that he does that? Oh no, Master of Magic, Spells and Illusion. <laughs> yeah, it's of interest. Mandrake. Yeah, I'm sure it's it is. Cook. Anyway, Hoodoo Voodoo is crap. So yes, there you go. That's, that's it. We've got one more before we head to music, so let's move along quickly. <laughs> Our final game. So, Graham, lead us into the uh, realms of uh, Jean-Michel Jarre and tell us all about Equinox. I'm starting to get bloody deja vu with all these droid and seek games. Um, so, in this <laughs> game... Um, <laughs> Good one. There's a. I'm not even going to try and pronounce this. Is it Suri Ange Seven? Suri Ani Seven. You are a robot in this game, and you've got to try and you're in control of a a, dispo, a dedicated disposal robot, uh, and you've got to shut down the security system in this area of uh, radioactive stuff. And then to do this, you've got to throw stuff down the disposal chute at each of the eight levels that you play. You've got limited time to do that before they explode. You've got limited fuel. So, in other words, what I'm explaining to you is you've got to roam around a landscape or an environment with a sort of thrusty sort of robot-y thing trying to find things to chuck down the garbage chute to move on to the next level. So you've got a hover-botty, shooty, collectory, fly robot-y thing. We've seen this, like, a, how many games are doing this now? I mean, in the last, we had a rack, we had a few different games that have a robot-y, yeah, collecty, yeah, yeah. shooty thing. This mm-hmm. looks like all the other robot-y, shooty, collecty games that are out there, so there's nothing particularly... Quite, it felt like a lot of other games, and I'm starting to see a wave of development. I've noticed this about a few things, so we see waves of things. We saw a wave of games that featured the kind of icon 
icon-led menu system, and then we saw ones that had kind of drop-downy menu systems, and now we're seeing games that have these kind of droid, droid and seek look around in a techno world kind of game. I thought this was quite tough. You've got to fly around shooting pretty carefully and avoiding the baddies and picking things up and putting them down in the right space. And there's these teleports that you can use. You've got to be pretty pixel accurate to use them. But I just felt like I played a game exactly like it maybe three episodes ago that was kind of better. So... It looks okay. The graphics, I thought, were quite well realised. They're quite nice looking. It's, it's, there's a look to this game that's quite nice. The sound's okay. There's a lot of game to like here. And if you like these kind of games, if you like a game where you play a robot exploring a, an environment in a kind of hoverbot thing, pick up things to move things around, to take them to the right place, to drop them off to do the thing. If you like that kind of thing and you like being a robot and you like wandering around flick screens looking for batteries or apples randomly or teleport keys and, well, there we go. There's another game for you. You fill your boots with it because this one's another one and it scored the kind of average score that these games get. So it's between 80 and 88%. So these games always score about that. They're neither bad nor good. They're kind of average all the way. I think 83% for this is about right for a game of this type because it's quite nice. It's quite well presented. It looks like it's nothing terrible. It's not a terrible game. There's nothing I could pinpoint in terms of its story arc and its and its mission and its what it does, what it set out to do. And it has some of the polish and some of the ideas, but it's just derivative of so many games of this type. And I have a feeling we're going to play more of these type even during this podcast and for the next podcast. There seems to be a lot of these explore the environment as a robot and pick things up and drop things off games. I become quite picky about them. This one is pretty, but it just, I can't even think of the name of the game that it reminds me of from about two or three weeks ago. Was it Starquake, maybe? Or something yes, like that, where there was yes. tele, where there's tele, teleports and it's a, I think there's a spectrum esque quality to the high res graphics, but they, they are quite nice. So it's not terrible. It's not great. You've just got to like this kind of game because it's there's so many of them. This is quite a good one of them. So, you know, it's better than some of the other ones that we've had, the Dross ones. But I, I, it's very difficult to form an opinion on a game that I feel like I've played 50 times before. But what did you think? Well, I'm pretty much the same. I think I maybe maybe a little bit more linear. I thought it was a, I thought it was very pretty. Yes, it, um, don't get me wrong. It looks it looks really good. This game, it does look good. Yeah, it's got a it's got a certain look. And just to sort of say about the uh, the person who made it, the coder uh, designer, is a guy called Nick Jones. And Nick Jones will go on to do Stormlord One and Two. Do you, you know Stormlord? Remember Stormlord? I do you? remember Stormlord. Uh, so Stormlord One and Two, he does the conversions for Cybernoid and Cybernoid Two. I see. Now that's I I, I wanted to say it looked like Cybernoid, but I didn't want to. It does look like Cybernoid. I didn't want to jump. To the future. Yeah, it does. That's fair enough. He does Dan Dare three and Exalon. Dan Dare three is really good. Yeah, he does have quite a few. So the, you know the the guy, and this is his first game. So eleven sixty four. That's pretty good then. So it's a first game, it's a first entry, and and I, I what I put, I, I really like the title screen. There's some really nice presentation to this. Yes. The title screen's really lovely. There's some you know exploration explanation of what things do. There's some thought yep. gone into this and. And I think as a, as a first entrance, you know, as a first entry, this is excellent. Um, but it's not without its issues. Um, because when I first played it, exactly like you said, I was reminded of Cybernoid because it's that type screen, multicolor sprites, shooting stuff on a screen. It's similar to yeah. Cybernoid. I don't know if Cybernoid is already out on Spectrum at this point. I know we get the port after the Spectrum version. I think, yeah, because Raphael, is. Is Raphael, Raphael Checo, Checo, creates Cybernoid. I'm not sure what the lineage of the timing is here sort of thing, but this does have that feel to it. Single screen, very pretty, very colourful shooter type of game. The problems I had with it is death seemed random. Sometimes you could take loads of hits from the enemies and be okay, and then sometimes you take one or two and be dead. Um, they didn't seem to be... I, didn't, I don't know whether it was something yeah, I was yeah. missing. Um, I, I, I couldn't 
tell what it was. I was trying to look for some energy bar or something. And obviously you, you'd be set by this never-ending spawning enemies in each room, which is always a pain, especially, uh, which wouldn't be a pain if you had unlimited shots, but your energy drains on your laser, so you, you can just run out of laser and then you, you're screwed, basically, because you can't, you can't destroy anything. And that's an, that can get annoying. It is a, you know, find this bit to do that bit, to get this bit, to unlock that bit, to open that door, to get the key, to knock the wall out, to go... It's You know, it's one of those. It's a piecemeal. There's a set solution to each level. And, and as one of those, it's okay. It does feel okay, but it just, for me... This was a decent little game. It just needed someone to come along and put a bit of playtesting and some of the mechanics ironing out to be really special, I thought. But as a first first attempt, the first game, I think this is pretty impressive. So I think 80 mm. odd is about bang on. Um, and I, I, I quite like... Was, did I recognise the music on the title screen? Was it something you recognised? Because it really, really sounded familiar to me and I couldn't place it for the life of me. Mm. I didn't know if it was a jar piece. I haven't made a note of it, so I just I thought it was just... Just sounded very, very, very similar. It could be, but I'd have to check it again. It's The problem is with this is it, it needed a bit more sparsity again. Stop throwing enemies at me, be a bit more patient and don't, don't drain my energy, don't drain my laser if you're going to do that. But it's all right. It passed the time for a bit. I didn't hate it. I was, it was better than I thought it was going to be. And I thought it looked really pretty. I, I quite like the visuals on this. So it was all right. But it's a first entry. And I think, you know, as a... You can see why they give him cybernoid. It's not bad, is it? I mean, it's good. Like I said, I just... I feel like I've played a lot of... I'm exhausted of these games at this time. I think it reminded me a lot of Iraq. Iraq is kind of looks similar. It's actually better yeah. than Iraq because you can control it better, I think. But it reminded me of that kind of graphic look. There's a look to these games that they're starting to develop. So it, it's it's very pretty to look at, it has to yeah. be said. And, and, and Tyriad as well, isn't it? Anteriad's yes, yes, one. very much so, yes. It's in that vein. We'll get to Anteriad at some point down yep. the line. So there you go. That's uh, Equinox. It's okay. As a first entry, pretty good. Right, that's it for this uh, session. Session? Section? Session? What am I on about? For this hot session. For this hot session. So that's your games. So we looked at five there. So let's move on. Um, we'll be back in a brief moment after this word from our sponsor with music in October 1986. So please stay with us. Thanks to our sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com, where you'll find stories influenced by classic games from the Commodore 64 and Amiga. His next book, Escape from the Commodore 64, is coming soon. Sarah's stuck inside her brother Reese's computer. He must help her escape. Who else is going to return those crap cassette games like Brian Bloodaxe, claiming they don't load? He can't do it. They don't believe him, but she just flutters her eyelids and the spotty lads let her swap a dud for a gem, no questions asked. Ah, the old ready run ready scam. Visit davidhernwriter.com, that's david, h-e-a-r-n-e, writer.com, to find out more. Welcome back. Uh, right, music in October 1986. What was going on? Oh, good Lord. Number one singles. We had True Blue, Madonna for one week. Yes, as you've noted here, still hanging around. Was Open Your Heart was originally intended for Cindy Lauper? It was it? indeed, yes. It was, oh, yes. Maybe she, needed to, maybe she needed to open her heart about something. Well, I'm, I'm glad she didn't secrets. sing it because I can't imagine Cindy Lauper singing that. Oh, but yeah, it was screechy nastiness. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be a good one. But for the remainder of the month, your favourite from, <laughs> from last month, uh, <laughs> Nick Berry lifts his way to number one with every loser <laughs> wins for the next three weeks of the month. Oh, honestly. I made my feelings about this 
mathematical anomaly <laughs> clear in the last episodes when we mentioned it two episodes ago. But um, it is. If you have you read the lyrics for this, the full lyrics, I have not. I think I might have done at some point. Let's have a look. So, if you look at the lyrics for this, and then imagine somebody trying to find a place using directions on a map, but they keep getting lost. <laughs> that is the essence of this song. We actually talk about this a bit later down in the TV. So, I'm not going to go on about it now. But just to remind you, not every loser wins, but some do end up at number one in a music chart. That is true. They're awful lyrics. But just imagine someone's trying to find a place on a map using directions, but yeah. they keep getting lost. Yeah. <laughs> and that... <laughs> we'll post the lyrics uh, on the uh, on the show notes. You make your own mind up about every loser wins, but just choose whether you're a loser that's winning or whether you're a winner that's losing, because there's a big difference. There is a very big difference. All right, that's it. That's it for your number one singles. Number one albums is going to be even shorter. Because all month we've got, well, and I say Port Shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Graceland by Paul Simon, all month, number one. We've already talked about this. Well, yeah, but it surprised me that it was month, number one all month in the album chart. I know it's a great album and big one. The, but... the, the country's gone Paul Simon mad. You know, they that's, have. That's, what's, that's what's happened. You know, they're, they're flagging him down in the street. They're running after him, Beatles style. It's gone crazy. You can't, you can't even go to the corner shop to buy some, uh, to buy some number 10 Benson and Edges. <laughs> you can't do anything. It's just, it's just, you know, poor, poor Paul Simon. He's got two first names as well. I won't, and I wondered if, <laughs> you know, you don't like the double-barrelled Duran Durans, and you don't like, you know, the, you know, the thers and things like. that. How do you feel about famous artists with a double-barrelled first name? So Paul Simon, no surname there, is there? Can can you can you give me any more? No, not off the top of my head. But uh, <laughs> have a think about it. See if there's any that spring into your mind. All right, I'll, I'll have a think. But I'm not sure about that. I think that's okay. But um, it, it doesn't it doesn't raise my ire, shall we say? Um, <laughs> not yet. Any, at any point, not yet. It might do though if I think of someone else. <laughs> but but that would be bad, wouldn't it? So what we got? Singles. Fifth of October. Don't stand so close to me. Uh, Eighty six was in at number thirty two from the police. This baffled me. Why? Because why would you release the same song six years later and make it crap? The original, the original song is quite. Uh, it's, I mean, it's obviously you know, it's a total Vladimir Nabokov kind of vibe about the whole thing, um, very Lita mm-hmm. kind of thing. But this reworking is kind of weird. It's just weird. It's just a weird version of their own song to release again. Are they split up by this point? So is it just like cashing in on? No, because they're all in the video. Just... They're all in the video for the '86 version. Uh, well, at least they're all in the video digitally. I don't know about the real the logistics I'm, I'm sure and the reality. Split up by this because don't forget we've had Sting's. Dream of Blue Turtles and stuff, so they've they've had, they have split up. Yeah, they've possibly done. Uh, it's just a weird reworking. It's a really weird remix. So it's got a diff- completely different chorus. I find the mood of this one's more depressing. It's much bigger synthy production, and the uh, and the video was produced by uh, Godley and Cream. So or Godley and Kremer, as they say in Poland. <laughs> um, Godley and Kremer apparently used computer animation, or one of the very early pioneering videos that used computer animation. I'm not sure that it would have helped. I looked at the video and it didn't look like anything other than somebody. If you do, you remember when Homer made his own website in The Simpsons and he had that <laughs> was a clip art? Yeah, it was a bit like that. The video was kind of a bit of a clip art frenzy. And it, oh as much as I want to say Stuart Copeland is in this, it's not actually Stuart Copeland. He was injured with a shoulder injury at the time, so it's all drum machine in that song. So. Oh. This, I've actually, in our little show notes, I've posted the YouTube link to the original version and the 86 version. You know, we won't do a, we'll do a Stuart's poll, you know, we'll just say, you know what, go and have a look at both of those. You making your own mind, your decision about which one you think is better. I like the police as a band, don't get me wrong. Quite strong affinity for them. My brother was heavily into the police. 
as a band and so i heard a lot of police stuff including a lot of their early singles and stuff so quite quite a nice affinity for them and the original version of don't stand so close to me is great in about 1980 i'm not so sure this 86 version is anything other than I, I, I suspect it's aimed at the film soundtrack market of which there seems to be quite a few things so well yes we have got some big film soundtrack stuff coming up. We do. Uh, we've also got TV soundtrack stuff, because uh, at 34 was The Wizard by Paul Hardcastle. Right. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, as uh, BBC Top of the Pops, yeah. But yeah, all release versions are not the same, because he just kept remixing him, didn't he? Yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't, leave, he couldn't well, leave well enough alone. It's like, Paul, stop. No, he can't. Paul. He can't. If, if you ever go to his house and ask for a cup of tea, you're going to be there for 20 to 30 hours. <laughs> Because he keeps making the tea, mixing the, stirring it with his teaspoon, taking it out, pouring it away, making another one, mixing it differently. You can't, you can yeah. never get a straight cup of tea. It's like, how do you want your tea? Just, just give me a drink. I want a drink. I'm dying of thirst here. Sometimes he puts the milk in first, then the bag. Sometimes he doesn't add any water. Um, exactly. Sort of just heats up, heats up some milk. It's all very bad. Sometimes he tries to make the water hot by heating up the bag. <laughs> and, and, no, and no one wants to heat up the heat up water with the with no. a hot bag. And you'll say to him, how many times? Paul, am I going to have to sit here and ask for a cup of tea? And he'll say, 19. No, 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 no. No, 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 19. Like, Paul, which, that, that joke got old 19 years ago. <laughs> Give me a cup point, of tea pun- or I'm leaving. <laughs> you'll, put, you'll punch him staccato style and <laughs> yeah. walk out. But I always thought Paul Hardcastle was an American, but he's not. He's a totally English, brilliant, techno, techie dude, clever guy. Yeah, but... he is. Very English. Yeah, yeah. Number 45 was Don't Get Me Wrong. By the pretenders. Ugh. Yes. Don't get me wrong. I got hit by him. As, you, as you've noted here, you don't like her singing style because she sounds like she's been squashed under a sofa. She does. Gradually. <laughs> as if, if if you imagine that she's, someone's lowering a sofa, heavy sofa, onto her, she's like... Uh, 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 uh. No. I've already said she's one of the early proponents of singing in vowels. Yes. Yes, she does. Uh, yes. So... Uh, I got cash. No, 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 thank you. Yeah, 12th of October, in at number 40, was More Tiny Hats, Stay With Me, uh, by The Mission, um, from God's Own Medicine album. It is from God's Own Medicine, that's correct. It's uh, it's more of a sort of slower, jangly, it's the doom, goth, doom, gothy one. Doom, 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 that one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's all right. It's not one of my favourites of theirs. It's okay. Does he say you stay? Know, nice, Does he nice say stay? Is it S T Y A Y? Yeah, he would be. <laughs> <laughs> Is that David Bowie's version? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, two places down from staying, staying with the mission was always the sun by the Stranglers at number forty-two. Yeah, the big hope for them was that this would be bigger, a bigger hit than Golden Brown. No, um, it wasn't. It no, wouldn't be. It's not no. as good. It's not as good a song. It's a good song. I quite like Always the Sun, yeah. but it's not. Always, it's not Golden Brown, is it? Always, yeah. It's just not yeah. Golden Brown. No, it's not. Just they just kind of peaked with that, I think. And yeah, it doesn't have that. Yeah, Hugh Cornwall always felt that the CBS was to blame for the poor positioning of this track. I'm just not convinced it was that great a song to begin with. So that's my take. What CBS? Yes, that's the people who were releasing the record. Yeah, CBS Records. Oh right, okay, all right, CBS Records. Right, okay. Yeah, well, it's all right, but it's not great. Blamed his record company. Number sixty-one. Uh, he's back the man behind the mask Alice Cooper at number 61 and he is out of control theme song to Friday the 13th part 6 Jason Mm. Lives Mm. (laughs) it's not a great track no probably not no, it's, uh, it's not. from his album Constrictor. Which we talk about later. Yeah, sometimes Erasure, number 82. 
Um, it's Vince Neil again. Yeah, <laughs> not Vince Clark. <laughs> not Vince Clark. Vince Clark. <laughs> this uh, ooh, is this ooh sometimes? Yeah, that's the one. The pain is on. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I like this one. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's their first proper hit. Yeah, this was I think their breakthrough, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's good. The video features the classic Erasure Footstop dance. Yes, pioneered by Dexter's Midnight Runner. Yeah. And later, really pushed by Paul Rutherford from Frankie. So <laughs> you need to watch the video, I think, for the for sometimes. I know the video, so I'm aware of the foot stomp <laughs> dance. <laughs> exactly, that he does. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So the foot stomp dance. Dexys Midnight Runners were in there with it as well. What's his name? Andy Andy Bell, wasn't it? He would yeah. later to go on to uh, pioneer the, uh, the the bendy middle dance. <laughs> Um, where he basically just would like be able to sort of bend his middle and sort of make his top half go straight. I don't know how he used to do it. It's like there'd be three sections to his body. Yeah. Um, it's like his hips were were wrong. Um, well, he uh, was actually three people joined together at a surgical <laughs> he, interval. He was no. He was actually three small people under a big coat. <laughs> that yes, that's exactly what he was. And Vince Clark never noticed. No, well, he wouldn't. No, he was. Why do you he keep was, wearing that big coat, Andy? Just focus on the music. It's, uh, it's, it's there, very Vince. hot. How are you dancing like that? <laughs> I'm very. Just focus on the music, Vince. Just keep it coming. Come on. Absolutely. Uh, in at number eighty-nine, I thought it was really low for this, but you know, it, hey, it will uh, rise. Dan- it will rise. Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. And as I've noticed, yes, <laughs> Top Gun is incoming. We'll talk about that in the next episode. We will. Um, it is a great. It is a great track, Danger Zone. It is. I didn't realise it was composed by Giorgio Moroder. I did not know. It was also one of the inspirations for our the the website that we never made, um, which was for a, a password generator um, to, to do with uh, Kenny's logins. <laughs> I forgot about Kenny's logins. We should have Kenny's done logins. That. We should have. And it played three. It play, basically played three tracks, didn't it? If your password wasn't very strong, it played Danger Zone. Um, if it was really strong, it played I'm All Right. And then there was another. What's the other Kenny Login song? Oh um, God! Uh, Footlo- it's footloose. 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 If it was in the middle, because you were a bit footloose, you didn't really care about your password, but you liked free, a bit yeah. of security. Yeah. So you had three levels of security through Kenny's logins. <laughs> Do you know what? There's enough IT savvy people who listen to this podcast. Make that. Someone make that. Make it so. Yeah, we think it's a winner. Kenny's logins. Did you know, by the way, that that particular track was originally intended for Toto, the band Toto? Uh, I did not. Can you imagine what that would sound like? Toto, Toto's version of, of um, Danger, Zone. Danger Zone with the with you know Pecoro doing the drums. It, it would have been a totally different. Think, do, uh, think do, Africa. Do, 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 do. Danger Zone. <laughs> I flew into the area at night. Yeah, it's just totally different. <laughs> My turbo jets were burning. No, 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 never mind. But the video for that was also directed by Mr. Tony, Tony Scott. Scott yes. the, late, yes. the late Tony Scott. And I'm, again, yes. everyone's, de- everyone's dead to me. And uh, he is dead, though, isn't he? He did die. He is dead, yes. Very he sad, did die. Yeah. 19th sad. of October, uh, You Keep Me Hanging On, Kim Wilde at number 36. Uh, uh, yeah, You Keep Me Hanging On. Yeah, originally on. recorded back in 1966. By also recorded by Vanilla Fudge. It was. And I tell you what, you need to check that out because their version is kind of crazy. <laughs> but they're called Vanilla Fudge. What do you expect? <laughs> but, but they have a very specific sound. They're a prog band, a massive proggy, proggy rock band. So it's a prog rock version of You Keep Me Hanging On. It is wild when you hear that. All right. Kim Wilde. It's, well, it's, it's Kim Wilde's version's weird because she just ch- just changed loads of the lyrics and the and one of the verses just because she wasn't familiar with the original that well. Kind of knew the song but didn't know the words. 
So they just kind of did their thing. But it went to number two in the UK chart, so it must have been... Yeah, I, can, I can imagine. She was quite popular, wasn't she? Back well, she, no, she wasn't. She was popular for kids in America because it was popular in America, but she didn't do any of the other kids in other any other countries, did she? Kids in Uganda, <laughs> kids in Switzerland. None of the, All the other kids around the world were like, why didn't you do us? Why was our country left out, Kim? Because they don't scan as well. We're the kids in Switzerland. Oh, that's fine. That scans all right. So, yeah, all right, fair enough. We're the kids in Austria. There's loads you could... Kim, what were you thinking? Exactly. See my point? But there are countries that don't work, you know. <laughs> we're the kids in Liechtenstein. Whoa, yeah, all fits. Everybody. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Anyway, take my breath away. The love swing from Top Gun by Berlin was at number thirty-seven. It's very Top Gun-y, Kim this, this this podcast episode and this music is very Top Gun-y, isn't it? Top Gun comes out. That's why another one uh, composed by uh, Mr. Maroda, of course. Yeah, it is a good track. This year, won the Academy Award yeah. for Best Original Song. Yeah, it won a lot of stuff. Okay, yeah. When he fixed the brake, <laughs> Tom Whitlock. Yeah, he met Giorgio Moroder when he fixed the brakes on his car. Hey, Tom, while you're down there, why are you fixing the brakes? Yeah, and he totally. got some lyrics. Weird is that Tom Whitlock <laughs> was the was the engineer. Well, not engineer. Well, engineer technically, but the um, mechanic who fixed Giorgio Moroder's Ferrari, and then it ended up being the co-writer of the lyrics of "Take My Breath Away." It's just mad. The world, the world of coincidence. He said that to him. Oh, your character just takes my breath away. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder how that song came to be. And Georgia and Georgia went. That's brilliant. I love those lyrics. <laughs> I don't your, know if that's how Georgia lyrics are brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> write me some more. Write me, Take my write me away an entire war. song, and I will put it to music. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't know. I don't know. I'm in the danger zone. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, you know, I feel like uh, I feel like I'm living on a prairie because that was in at number forty from Bon Jovi. Yeah, uh, a classic track and a massive mega hit across the world. Of course, it was. Everyone knows living on a still prairie still is. Won't go it away. Just, uh, it won't. Uh, it is, I would probably say, would you, their biggest song? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they I had big so. hits, but this one was just stupid. Um, yeah, uh, they still do it as part of their life set now. So, But 60 places below, living on a prayer, at number 100, and I was stunned that this was at number 100. At this was moment. The final count, final countdown from Europe. Yes. Now, wow, I know that's that this, crazy. I know that that track went to number one in the UK, I think. It was number one in, in 25 countries around the world. It went, it's it the, went it's to the thing, one. isn't it? It's the, it's the New Year song. Yeah, it went it went to number one, and I'm pretty sure it did everywhere, because it was, it was everywhere at one point. And it's a great, great, great song, The Final Countdown. It is. And the hit, as you've written, quite rightly, is immense. Throughout this, uh, throughout the entire band, there isn't a, there isn't a member with, with lacking hair. No. And I would, I would put to you that Joey Tempest from uh, Europe as one of the finest rock and roll voices of all time. I think his voice in 1986, not so much now, but in 1986... <laughs> he's old. Yeah, he's, of course he is. He's way older. But in 1986, even the live version of... I mean, I used, to, I used to be an altar boy and listen to me now. <laughs> but Joey Tempest's voice is incredible in that song. And his later his later live version, um, even it, not necessarily the more modern ones, obviously, because it's slightly in a different register. But I think his voice is really, really, really great. Um, and I really, I mean, I listen to the, I listen to the, that Europe album that the final countdown is on because it's got things like um, Danger on the Line or whatever that track's called. I forget what it's called now, but it's got a few of the, few of their more well-known tracks on that particular album. But Joey Tempest's got carry, voice got, carries got, on it. It's got it, carry, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah, Joey Tempest's voice is incredible. I don't care what anyone says. It is. You can't deny it. Yeah. You know, I'm but not, these Euro singers are amazing. Even the, the guy that sang in Halloween 
he was 18 when he recorded Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 1. These these Euro singers are amazing. Please, please qualify that statement because there were two singers in Halloween. One of them was excellent and well, one of them was like Kai said, Hansen. Well, the, <laughs> the one that recorded um, Keeper of the Seven Keys. Keys Part 2 and 1, yeah. And Part 1, yeah, that, that one. Not the Walls of Jericho guy and the, the later <laughs> stuff. Mr. Hansen. Yeah, and what was his name, the... Michael Michael Kiss Michael Kiss so Michael Kiss from Halloween has an amazing voice for an 18 year old singer that wants to be a great singer and he is amazing likewise Joey Tempest's voice I think it's one of the purest rock and roll voices that you could hear it's such a great and you, you can hear it in Final Countdown it's incredible and that's no production um, and there's a really there's a loads of amazing articles written about the Final Countdown and the recording of it he did all that in pretty much one take. That's not, that's, that's, you're hearing him sing how he sings. That's not processed in any way. He just sings like that or sang like that. I find that incredible. I, I mean, you've got to admire talent when it comes out. Number 100, that's going to go to number one. It already, it was in 25 countries as well. So very popular yeah, a massive, track. Massive yeah, tune. yeah, huge, amazing yeah, voice. Yeah. So there we go. 26th of October, Notorious. <laughs> Duran 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 in number 14 mm. no there's no Roger and no Andy it's just the uh, other three at this point isn't it yeah. but I thought they were Arcadia I thought they were Arcadia at this well, point well yeah they, they kind of obviously <sighs> they obviously flipped I never liked this period of Duran Duran I liked the early stuff because I liked the vibe that the Taylors brought to it this feels and sounds and is a Nile Rodgers production, and you can bloody well tell it is. It just sounds yeah. like a Nile Rodgers track. And Nile Rodgers, don't get me wrong, he's an amazing, amazing performer, musician, producer. Everything about Nile Rodgers is cool, but everything that he produces sounds like it was produced by Nile Rodgers. And okay, that's great. But you know, it's got that kind of you know that kind of guitar sound that he pioneered with Le, Le, Le Chic. It sort of it's it kind of perpetuates everything he does from that moment forth, really. So. Yeah, we've got some different takes on this next one. Because uh, at number 16, we've got Ask by The Smiths. Mm. And you <laughs> you don't like them, I don't like them, but anything I seriously doubt, they're ironmongery skills, so it's all built on a lie. Yeah, because <laughs> they're this not answer the questions over this song. We can make anything with molten iron from the album. <laughs> we are not blacksmiths. <laughs> well, you see, now what, what what I went down was I sort of just read that as Ask The Smiths, which would be the most <laughs> depressing uh, Agony Ant column ever. And like you could have it on like going live, uh, uh, as a section, what would you what would you like to ask the Smiths? And it'd just be Morrissey giving really <laughs> depressing advice. Well, yeah, I want, I'm thinking of uh, going on a date. Well, don't go out tonight if you haven't got a stitch <laughs> to wear. And if you do, your girlfriend would end up in a coma. <laughs> And if a double-decker bus... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that would be the most depressing agony. And Or if they were... The other thing which I thought, if not on going live, there'd be like Dear Deirdre. So it'd be uh, Ask Morrissey in in the newspapers i thought that could be quite good as well for, for you know for further uh, further advice and yeah. those uh those picture stories they used to have in the sun where it's always some woman running around in a bra it could you, they could be recreated by members of the smiths <laughs> or I, it could just I, I be thought, i thought about this quite a lot or it could just be that all of the smiths in the world are a collective like the borg in star <laughs> trek and you can just ask the smiths a question and all the smiths of the world unite as one brain to answer any questions you can ask. So what's uh, what's the answer to life, the universe and everything? And the Smiths all go, and emit a signal where they all communicate and coordinate and they emit an answer, but they you know, do it in song. It's unlikely that though. Yeah. Has to be said. But anyway, ask ask the Smith. I won't be. I won't be. And then after that, after getting some advice from Morrissey, don't give up. Um, oh, Lord. <laughs> with Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush at number 31. Start, <laughs> start, 
started listening to it and found by one minute I'd ordered razor blades from Amazon. Yeah. In a bleary haze, bleak fuel humor. It yeah. is one of the most. Yeah, but don't give up. It's bright, you know. It's, it is. You start listening uh, to that track and I found myself glazing over and upset for no reason whatsoever. And then I looked at my Amazon order history and I'd ordered razor blades and a gun. I'm like, goodness <laughs> me, that's unusual. I don't remember ordering those things. Yeah. I don't know. I, I never knew that Amazon, you could order nooses. <laughs> Yes, you could order different colours and everything. Absolutely, you can, you can, even you can get. It's weird that you can get five for a quid. Um, I thought, you know, what one would be enough? You're not selling me on the quality of the noose here. If I need to use five, what's five nooses? Noose eye, nooses, noosages. I'm not sure. Noose eye, noose eye. The last track, but I thought this was amazing that this was ever a thing. Was at number ninety two and was a song called "Eye Contact" from Linda Lusardi. Oh, Linda Lusardi um, for, for the. For, for those who don't know, um, probably our, our international listeners, we've mentioned Sam Fox, who was a page three pinup. Uh, she had a pop career, and Linda Lusardi was kind of the uh, the dad's favourite of the uh, pinups of the yeah. page three uh, models. Page three essentially, Na- no, yeah, semi erotic naked models, essentially. Yeah, that were that were on page three in the newspapers, national newspapers, just for there to be seen. You know, with semi semi naked, um, and so she's now released a song called "Eye Contact." Um, I didn't really, I didn't listen to it. I imagine it's dreadful. Yeah, it's as you can imagine, awful, awful, awful. Yeah, awful. I can imagine. Obviously, it didn't give her to any kind of pop craze. I don't even know she'd ever released anything. So there we go. No. Poor old Linda. She was lovely, though. She was on lots of uh, stuff later. Yes, and just as an aside, if you go on Mimo, you can get a personal video message from Linda for 35 quid. So uh, now, if you're feeling a bit lonely, <laughs> a bit depressed, go on to Mimo, pay your dues. Don't order and, that noose. And she'll, she'll send you... Yeah, don't order the noose from uh, Don't Give Up. She'll send you a video message to cheer you up. She'll cheer you up. She'll cheer you up at the pin-up club. She'll cheer you up. She will. She'll give, you, she'll give you a bit of eye contact. She, she will. Hi, oh, yeah. I'm Linda um, Lusardi, and I love to eat crazy <laughs> eggs. That's what I asked for. She would, She said no, though. What's going, what's going my on? Favorite food, my favourite food is chips. <laughs> Here in Laguna. <laughs> she refused to do what I asked in my video. I won't reveal oh, the details of what I asked for, but I felt 35 quid was very reasonable. So we'll leave, anyway, we'll park it there. Just park, we'll park that. <laughs> That's what you asked her to do, and she refused. <laughs> Anyway, 5th of October, albums. Albums. Albums, 5th of October. Somewhere in time, Iron Maiden, straight in at number three. Aye, the fans pushed it there. <laughs> yeah, love them or hate them, they worked hard. I'm sure they did. Yes, but they did. They, they just, uh, 331 day world tour with 187 concerts prior to recording that album. Steve Harris said that Bruce Dickerson had lost the plot so completely that all of his lyrics he wrote were stupid. That's <laughs> <laughs> what he said. We're not using any of our lyrics, Bruce, because you've lost the plot, mate. That's hard to that's hard to tell from one album to the rest. I was going to say, I'm sorry. Thinking, his lyrics <laughs> how did they notice? Great, what, how did they notice the difference? What was his lyrics? Yeah, God knows. That's like Brian Maiden. With a change of tack at number six, there's South Pacific by uh, Kiri Tikanawa, oh, Jose yeah. Carreras, and Sarah Vaughan. Aye. Oh, good lord! Yes. What was this doing in at number six? Well, it's too early for it's too early for Christmas. There was a bit of a musical. This is the be- early beginnings, I think, and we'll see a bit more of this of the operatic musical stars starting to start to appear because there's this. Kiri Tikanawa became really popular for doing the Rugby Union, didn't she? World in Union song and loads of other stuff. She did, yes. And yes, then yes. Jose Carreras and Placido Domingo and insert other Italian sounding name. <laughs> Luciano Pavarotti. Pavarotti and loads of others just stuck recording there. There was the three tenors, 30 quid. There was the three tenors. <laughs> I like to call them 30 quid. <laughs> 
let alone Sarah Brightman and loads of other stuff, and um, Sarah Vaughan, obviously, as well. It just it becomes more unpopular. The South Pacific's a musical, and obviously this is a great version of that. I, I do like some of the operatic stuff. I'm a bit more of a classic operatic stuff, so I like the Mozarts and the stuff like that. So <laughs> I do. South yeah. Pacific's not my favourite thing, so... I just read what you've written here. She's got received honorary degrees from the UK, UK University of Bath. You don't need one. Uh, that's Bath, Cambridge, said, Dundee, yeah. Durham, Nottingham, Oxford, Sunderland, Warwick, and the universities of Chicago, Auckland, and Waikato. As you've noted, I'm not sure what subjects, though. And yes, indeed, I would like to see the APL forms as yes, well. Yes, so bloody right. Can you show me your accreditation of uh, prior learning? Exactly, uh, what yeah. mo- can you Can you show us how your experience matches the module learning outcomes, please? Exactly. Degrees in what, Kiri? Come on. What have you got a degree in? I don't know. Anyway, at number nine was Brotherhood from New Order. I don't know a lot about that album. No, I don't either. So nothing really to say about that. Pacific Age at number 15 by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Ummed. Pacific Age were fraught with conflict and debauchery. Yeah, apparently. That's not something something I um, associate, debauchery, with Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Apparently it was the case. It was a problematic recording because they were just so debauched. The recording what were they doing? sessions, debauching, massive debauching. The debauching, <laughs> massive debauching. They had, yeah. The debauching was enormous, full on debauch, <laughs> full, full on. on, yeah, like crazy uh, debauch, uh, crazy debauch. Uh, True Colors at number twenty-seven from Cindy Lauper. Yeah, it was a massive hit. It's a, it's an okay album. I don't mind this. It's all right. Second album from her. Yeah, <laughs> this album title made me laugh loads. <laughs> blind before blind before I stop. Oh, you're doing loaf. it wrong. You're, you're doing it wrong, meatloaf. Just <laughs> <laughs> go blind afterwards. You're blind before I stop. Stop before I blind. I'm not sure. Yeah, is it, the logic's all kind of crazy. Yeah, it? it's yeah. I do like actual meatloaf. I, I don't do think like I've ever meatloaf. eaten. I, I don't think I've ever eaten meatloaf. Oh, it's nice. It's really nice. It's it's a bit like. Is it just uh, a loaf of meat? Loaf is wrong. Kind of the wrong term. If you're thinking like a bread loaf, it's not like a loaf. Like so you can't a bread like slice it and put it in your toaster. No, it's not like no, it's nothing like I mean, that. No, it's more like you can't a, have a sandwich with it. No, it's a bit more like um, a bit like a shepherd's pie type without the potato kind of thing. A bit like lasagna without the sheets of lasagna. It's kind of that meat layer. Nice, nice. So it's just so it's just mince. Well, it's just meat. Yeah, minced meat with spices. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> yeah. meatloaf with breadcrumbs. Solid. Of course. It's got the breadcrumbs in there. Is it solid or sort of? No, it's it solid. Yeah, because you put breadcrumbs in it and a bit of flour, and you you know it's it's more solid. It's a bit like a big burger, really. <laughs> Just eat meatloaf and stop debating what it is. <laughs> Next week on Adrian learns cooking, <laughs> we talk about beef Wellington. Is it made from boots? <laughs> it's, meatloaf is nice. There's a number of ways you can make a meatloaf, none of which involve the guy meatloaf or anything to do with him. I'm sure he just make a mean meatloaf. It, it would be, he would be terrible. Like if you asked him to make one, he couldn't make one. I believe that's you know, the case. I, I would, I would be massively disappointed if I went round to Meatloaf's house and asked for some meatloaf. Well, there's you know, the I challenge. Know, I don't know how, to, I don't know how to make it. There's the challenge, Mr. Meatloaf. If you listen to this podcast, make us a meatloaf. Prove you can do it because I'm not so sure. No, I don't. No, yeah, I'm not you sure. You need to prove yourself. Yes. 12th of October, Scandal Days by Aha in at number two. Yes, their second album. It's a, bit, it's a much darker album, this one, than uh, their first album. Mm. As I've said before, it is a good album. You should listen to it. I'll give it a go. Number seven was Word Up from Cameo. I've still <laughs> only heard the one track by them as well. Yeah, I only remember <laughs> Word Up. Knew, huh, yeah, huh, I mean... Everybody. Yeah, that one. The song's so good, they called the album and the single it. Yeah, to make you know, sure that you bought it. They called it, the album it. it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, yeah. The autobiography of Super Tramping at number 39. 
Uh, it's the best of album. Yes, do you it has like Supertramp? I like their popular tracks. Some so, of their weirdest stuff. I've seen, I've watched them kind of live on Sky Arts or something, and a lot of the time they do go off into Noodle Madness mm. and that sort of piano-y yep. stupid stuff. But that could just because they're playing live and fair enough. But I've like, I do like the albums. What I've heard, uh, yeah. they're okay. Um, but yeah. I like the logical song. I like Dreamer. I like. I really yeah. like give it. Give a little bit. Yes, they're really oddball group. They're really strange. Yeah. The way they came about is strange. They they're basically formed because a Dutch millionaire didn't like the band that the keyboard player was in and wanted to give him a better opportunity. So they were just funded by a Dutch millionaire, and that's how it came about. Wow. Well, strange. You know, any Dutch millionaires listening to this? Um, well, we, it's we strange are, to say Gra- that. Because, Gra- um, Graham plays a mean keyboard, <laughs> and I've got and I've got the voice of an angel. So you know. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Number fifty-five was "Spit in Your Ear" from Spitting Image. Mm. Uh, yes, it would be a comedy compilation of the songs you that can, were in you Spitting can Image. Guess so. what's on that? Chicken song and all that rubbish. Nineteenth yep. of October was "Uvox" from mm. Ultravox. Uh, yep. Number nine. Yeah, strange. Did the original album. drummer left. He did. Was kicked out. Uh, yeah, well, it, yeah, there was a big fallout, big disagreements. The original drummer from Ultravox was left prior to the recording of that album, and so he was replaced by Mark Brzezetsky or Brzezetsky from Big Country. So it's got big the big country drummer on that album. So there you ah, go. One to one by Howard Jones at number ten. Howard <laughs> Jones. It's produced by Phil Collins and Hugh Padgham. Hugh is back. <laughs> He's the gated drum. Exactly. The gated, the gated, gated kicks now. King whatever, of the ga- I told you when we first spoke, spoke about Hugh Padgham, I said he's defined the sound of this particular period. And I, and I, I meant that in no uncertain terms. He made sure... You know, he drove to Howard Jones's house, kidnapped him, put him in the boot of his car, and then drove around playing gated drums at him for six days <laughs> before they recorded the one-two-one track with uh, Phil Collins. I have a bit of a soft spot for Howard Jones, I have to say, not in a kind of a you know in a crazy way, but it just some of his songs I sort of know them, even though I'm not sure why. And I remember his, I, I actually remember a lot of Howard Jones' performances from Top of the Pops. You know, the big keyboard there. At one point, in a guy, kind of a bald guy, you know, dressed in chains for one yes, of his songs. Yes, yes. And yeah. I just remember that. And I remember his songs being quite lively and poppy and interesting. And I, I, I was never, I never hated them. I wouldn't say they were my favourite thing ever, but he was one guy doing something quite unique. And if you look at the recording credits for that album, he, he basically programs and does all the synths and does all the all of that stuff. He does obviously he's going to do all of that. And later, of course, he he wrote "I Am the One and Only" for uh, for um, what's his name now. Oh. Chesney Hawks. So I always yes. preferred. I always, I always likened him to um, Nick Kershaw. I thought he was, was going to say Nick Faldo then. No, Nick Kershaw. Multiple Nick Kershaws. <laughs> <laughs> yes, similar um, kind of vibe. So, and, and I preferred Nick Kershaw. I think of the pair. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he had uh, catchier tunes. Um, mm. And number fifty-one was racing. Oh, sorry, dancing undercover by Rat. I Rat. rediscovered Rats when you posted that. They were a joke back then. <laughs> oh, they're still a joke, but I revisited some of their back catalogue because I was like, I, I, I need to know a bit more about Rat. A big hair metal band right at the end of the hair metal thing. So they were kind of cinderella weren't they, at the end of that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were used in a lot of film soundtracks is what I discovered. So they used... Probably because, uh, probably because they were cheap. Yeah, but they were just used in, you know, there's a few films they were used. Miami Vice used them in an episode. They used in, um, what's the Eddie Murphy comedy that was released around that time, the big one? Golden Child, I think they're used in that. Golden I think, Child, Trading Places. Uh, yeah, definitely Golden Child. Now they're in that, and I think they're also in the um, Beverly Hills Cop series somewhere. So they, right. they, they've kind of got. If you listen to them, they kind of got you know that background anarchic LA 
vibe oh, yeah, yeah. about they're just, them. They're just that, aren't they? Um, and not... just as an interesting aside, the album features a track called Dance, which was filmed uh, in part at the Whiskey A Go-Go in Los Angeles. That is a place where I have actually played a gig on the stage. So I played a gig there and I've played at the Cat Club, uh, which is down the same road, essentially. And they have crazy drink policies, crazy, crazy drink policies in the Whiskey A Go-Go. Like, right, you no, know, almost like neo-Nazi drink policies. So if you're... 20 and a half years old and you haven't got ID, you ain't getting an alcoholic drink in there. And if you do, you know, they're going to be, you know, this it's pretty bullish, or it was when I was there last. But an interesting place to go uh, with lots of pictures of Motley Crue on the wall, as it was, and um, a couple of pictures of uh, Rage Against the Machine for some reason. Interesting little place, though. Uh, but I have played a kick there, so there you go. Well done. I, I have not. 26th of October, uh, between two fires, Paul Young in at number four. And another Hugh Padgham produced album. <laughs> yeah, guess who produced this uh, album? He's going, he's got everywhere. Every time he goes away, he takes a piece of meat with him. He does. He does. And wherever he lays his ham, that's his home. Yes. He does love his meat. He loves his meat, does old Paul Young. He doesn't feature any of those songs on this album, which he he wrote more of the tracks on this one than he has on his others. His previous albums actually had more covers on it than this one does. That didn't help it, though. Got some before in the UK, I think, because it was Paul Young. But at this point, I think people are tuning out of his kind of <laughs> voice that he had. That kind of <laughs> kind of. Well, he voice. was he was he was being uh, replaced as the uh, housewife's favourite by Nick Berry. He was, and just so, just you, you know. might need to Google this just to double check. But do you remember that track that was um, a so- song that was called Toast in the British charts? And we're going way back into the very early. Maybe mid seventies, early eighties. I'm not sure when it was. A little piece of right. toast. That yeah, I believe yeah. was Paul Young, but you need to check on that. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Either that, or he was the person that was behind the um, Our White's Lemonade jingle. No, wasn't he in the ad? Wasn't he in the advert for it? Oh, is he? Fa- is he co- I know he was something to do with that. I thought he was. He I think could he's be in the advert. advert for that. Anyway, <laughs> Paul Young. One place behind uh, Paul Young was Liverpool by Frankie Goes Oof. to Hollywood. The second and. Mercifully, last album. Yeah. I mean, you've noted here that it wasn't produced by Trevor Horn. No, it was not. They suggested that the band play the instruments themselves. Steve Lipson did, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was one of Trevor yeah. Horn's engineers, yeah. And that shows. Have you listened to it? Did you listen to it for the podcast? I don't think I have listened to it, no. No, um, I've I never have. listened to Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. I didn't like Rage Hard or anything like that. No, so it's, I just... it's not a great album at all. It's, it's more rocky than... It's just... It's just... If you take... And this is no disrespect to anybody in Frankie Goes to Hollywood, but if you take... Trevor Horn out of the loop, then you don't have Frankie Goes to Hollywood. He was really was kind of the Frankie Goes to Hollywood sound. Yeah, he was. Yes, so, he, he he made he made that album. Oh, what he it did. Was, yeah, and no, I mean, no to the point around it. To the point when he recorded, he almost recorded the individual drum and bass and sounds individually, and then used the individual sounds to, to make the notes that made the tracks famous for things like Relax and stuff. So, Holly Johnson aside, I think the band were kind of played a little bit of lip service in production, but. No, I wasn't there, but apparently Holly Johnson was a miserable person at this particular point, probably because he realised that the band weren't actually that good without a really crazy, really good producer like uh, Trevor Horn. So yeah, probably. Awful uh, album. Let's just quick, quickly get wrapping up. Uh, Whiplash Smile, Billy Idol at number nine. Yeah, surprised me. What's that. on that? I don't know. What's on that? Do you know? No, I can't remember. There's a couple anything of tracks. Of, there. Anything of note? No, not really. The only interesting thing about that is Steve Stevens. I like Steve Stevens. who's a really great guitar player. And he is the guy 
that plays the guitar in the Top Gun theme, the Top Gun anthem. So, oh, that's him, is it? That is Steve Stevens from Billy Idol's band. How mad is that? We better if uh, Billy Idol sang on the Top Gun theme as well. <laughs> I'm flying a plane. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Top Gun. Anyway, Get Close by, it was at number 11. That was by The Pretenders. Mm. Um, yes, and Don't Get Me Wrong is on this album. That's why the single's out. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll let you say the rest. They're not a real band. They're just pretending. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Constrictor by Alice Cooper was at number 41. Uh, featured the guitarist Kane Roberts. Yes, he was famous Roberts, for his Rambo-like appearance. Is he the one who's in um, You're the Voice? <laughs> he's in the video from... Because yeah, whenever I see that sure video, is, yeah. I wonder I wonder why Rambo is playing the guitar behind yes, him. He was famous for his Rambo-esque look, and he used the guitar shot like a machine gun. Wow. Oh, yeah. Another voice crying, understanding. That's a good song, that is. It is a great song. Finally, wrapping up. We have, for anyone that remembers the 80s, you will remember these because at number 58. Now, the, the problem was with this is, well, okay, it's various artists and it's Simon Bates' Our Tune. Now, the, the problem, I thought, you always hated this. I'm yeah. going to put the music underneath what you're saying right now. So Yeah, I say? think you should do something because the problem with Our Tune is that that song is pertinent to one person. <laughs> so <laughs> by having an album of them, you're basically selling to 12 people. <laughs> So I don't know how we got to number 58 because suddenly if loads of people buying it, then it's not our tune. No. It's loads of people's tune. It's their tune. It, it's a tune. It's it's everyone's tune. And this <laughs> negates the whole thing about it being our tune. It's it's my when Michael left me, I didn't think I was going to be able to get over him until I bought Shackleton's <laughs> high seat chair. I love that chair. <laughs> it's, that, it's that guy who goes, and then um, Mavis, she lost a leg in an accident with a <laughs> with a with an elk. <laughs> With a whirl, it's a jukebox. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and after she'd come round from the coma, she realised Derek had died and left to her and bequeathed in his will 15 herring. Um, she couldn't do a lot with that. <laughs> but that was when Michael walked into her life. <laughs> yeah. Michael, Michael was a herring farmer. Yeah, exactly. Michael was a tall, strapping lad with big thighs and an enormous wrist. <laughs> <laughs> he could throw a ball into space. He was powerful and strong. He could, <laughs> but he, he couldn't could, speak. He, could make, he was mute. He, he could make herring paste with his two fingers. <laughs> he could eat things that would make a billy goat puke. You know, we should, we should, I think no. what we're going to have to do, just I realise right now that we're going to have to record our own versions of the Rambo introduction Right now, we'll, we'll not do it now. We'll the, do it later, and then with the hour tune, with the hour tune in the background, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do a our own version of introducing Rambo to um, that guy. We'll do, we'll probably do that. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. If it's going to be done, it's going to be inserted here. God didn't make Rambo. I made him. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare, with a man who's the best, with guns, with knives, with his bare hands. A man who's been trained to ignore pain, ignore weather, to live off the land, to eat things that would make a bully goat puke. In Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel, to kill, period. Win by attrition. Well, Rambo was the best. 
if maybe, or maybe, maybe it'll be or elsewhere. We'll, we'll see. But because I, I think your other one, I think your other idea is better as well, which I, is death passages <laughs> from the Avengers series. With this think... is background audio. To your horror, you recognise the acrid smell of spiderfish venom. Strangely, the knowledge of certain death lends you a serene calm. The poison courses through you, and you sink to your knees, jerking spasmodically, waiting quietly for the end. Through the burning agony, you hear the approaching footsteps of your opponent and his words. I am Ninja. I follow the way of the Scorpion. So it is proven that the way of the Scorpion overshadows the way of the Tiger, just as the power of Nemesis overshadows that of Quan. But you have met your death with honour, and so I shall ease your journey on that road. With that, he strikes your head from your shoulders with one cut of his sword. At least you have not suffered the painful death of the Spiderfish. And on that, on that sad, sad note, that's the end of the music uh, for October. So please stay with us after this message where we'll come back and we've got a f- four more games and some crapverts. The crapverts are back. So we've got four more games to come back to. Uh, so stay with us and we'll be back in a bit. Shout out to our sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you'll find bargain books, ebooks, and audiobooks. Coming soon, Dave's next book is called Escape from the Commodore 64. If you thought growing up in the 80s was tough, just imagine if you got stuck inside your old bread bin and had to beat some of those classic games for real. With no magic eight ball to guide her, it would be easier to draw the Mona Lisa with an etch sketch than escaping from eight bits of terror. Dave's podcast pick this time is Iridis Alpha. A hat tip to Mr. Minter for coming up with something as challenging as it was wacky. I've even met Jeff Minter once. What a neat guy. Welcome back. So let's get on with things. And we're into a big old game to start this part off. And that game is Parallax. So this scored 93% from Ocean, 8.95, so uh, not a totally high price, but a solid price, I think. And we know a lot about Parallax. This is from Sensible Software. So this is the second game, which I wasn't aware of, because obviously we've now discovered that they did Galaxy Birds. Um, and we did. Re- really, the step from Galaxy Birds to Parallax is, <laughs> is pretty massive. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And this is really a surefire nod of the you know the direction sensible software are heading in as to what they're gonna release down the line. But let's, you know, we'll get to that in time. Let's talk about Parallax, because this is a huge step up. So it's not perfect, okay, but we'll come to that. But it's it's so much larger in scope and scale and presentation. It's it it's is. really this is almost impossible to believe it's by the same people in, you know, such a short space of time. I don't know what was going on. Whether Galaxy Birds was written ages ago or something, I've no idea. I'm sure we can find out. So anyway, Parallax, what is Parallax? You are stuck, you find yourself stuck on an artificial world that consists of five areas. These are Alpha beta gamma delta and epsilon and so you find out oh well while you're here you find out that there is an imminent attack planned on earth so in order to stop this attack you have to break free of these artificial areas contact your buddies on the other four areas so there's a there's someone in each area and you've got to work out how to get through to them so essentially you've got to rescue these four and then you can blast off and, and save save the earth um i guess that's what happens at the end i never completed it so i don't so to do this you kind of have a top-down view of the game which is for most part where you fly around and it's not too dissimilar to chris butler's z or Z, um, in the, what it looks like. It's a multi-directional top-down shooter. You can spin your craft around and you slow it down. Or you can't slow it down, but you can go through black hole things which speed you up or slow you down depending on the direction you go in. So you fly around, but you, what you can also do is you can, you're, instead of 
up and down, speeding you up, slow you down. They actually adjust your alt, your, your your height so you can move up fly higher than the platforms you can actually fly under them as well but I mean, you need to do that on some of the later levels to actually pass through some of the traps and the tricks and things like that so the whole point is you've got to fly around these levels shoot in enemies that are floating around and you then have to land this is where it gets different so you have to actually land on some of the platforms where there's a, where there's a clear space and some of the buildings that you're flying over they have an entrance into them so once you land uh, on the platform you can assign yourself some oxygen and some power and a gun and stuff and then you can wander off out so seamlessly you're then on foot wandering around you then walk into the buildings and in the buildings there will be various things that you can interact with there may be what well, looks like a beetle did, what was it? Is it a Hoover? Is it a Beetle? What is that thing robot. that just moves around? It's a robot of some description. So you can shoot it. Sometimes it's a robot, you can shoot it. Other times there is a scientist wandering around within the room. So within the room, you can shoot the scientist, you wander over to them, and you nick their security card. Mm. You can then use this card for multiple reasons. You can take money out of their bank account because you can use money to buy the Bonanza pack, which gives you access to more drugs because you need drugs to uh, drug the scientist. Because what you're looking for, each scientist has a card that that card can access the main computer and will give you one letter of the code that you need to enter into the main central computer to allow you access to the next stage so the game essentially revolves around you flying around this area landing entering buildings shooting scientists getting this code building this five letters of the code together going to the central computer entering the code with a scientist next to you that you've drugged and then moving on to the next area that's it okay so that's that's the game in a nutshell. I think that's really pretty much it. Yeah, very good description. Yeah, yeah, it's it's smooth. It looks very nice. The graphics they've gone for the uh, sort of more chunkier bass relief style. So the the levels are color themed. So the, the first one starts with blue, I think, and then it's green, and there's various different colors as the, as the levels progress. If you try and get through the basically the, there is an opening to the next level to the bottom right of the corner, uh, bottom right of the level. If you try and go through that without having entered the code, it's game over. If you run out of energy, it's game over. You get blown up, and so you. You have to take care of you know energy and flight and fuel and these kind of things as you're flying around one very nice touch that i liked is if you know the password to a level all you have to do is nab a scientist drug them and head to the central computer because it's always the same yeah this does obviously lead to the fact that all codes would probably be printed in zap next month and so yeah. um you know everyone would know them but it's a nice it's a nice touch that you you know, if you can get to the fourth level, you don't have to keep battering your head and boring your way through the first three levels. Yeah. You can just kind of almost skip through them, which is a nice touch. You know, you could have basically, put, you know, you still got to play a little bit, but it's it's a nice touch to some player affordance, and that's quite good to see at this point in time. What the issues with it? So one of the issues I thought was I didn't feel that your health was communicated quite clearly enough. Mm. I couldn't quite make out why, why when I was going down. There's numbers and stuff going up and down and around, and they keep scrolling up on the thing. Sometimes you just want a health bar. Um, yeah. I think yeah. a health a health a health bar would have been easy to read, easy to pass the numbers. It's just a small thing, but just sometimes that's what you need. I'm also not sure that I like the option to put shields up and landing gear and things like that because I don't mm. really feel it's I don't really feel it added anything and takes away what from what I thought was a, just a nice control scheme with just the joystick. Just being able to land, you know, if you pull down while you're over the flat please and it just automatically lands. I don't think you'd be losing anything here than having you having to have your gear your your undercarriage up and down or whatever, and having to therefore press keys on the keyboard takes you away from just using the joystick. I, I wasn't a fan of that, but that's really about it. Really, it's a it's a really impressive game, and there's some other bits to it because there's the 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 main you know all that aside, you've then got Martin Galway on acid. <laughs> 
because I can't think of any other any other way to describe it because there's there's an eleven minute piece on the title screen that I'm not sure fits the game. I, I have to say I'm not sure it does. But it's an astonishing piece of music. We keep saying this about Martin Galway. We said it in Green Beret. We said it in Yeah Yeah Kung Fu. We said it in Rambo. And he just comes along again and just, in my eyes, and I'm not sure you agree with this, but I think he just raises the bar again as to what is, mm-hmm. you know, what is, what is capable with this this chip with this computer. Because what he's done is quite incredible. It's just this moody, lengthy prog piece of crazy madness that just goes off these. Don't play this game, by the way, if you're susceptible to a bit of epilepsy if you've got epilepsy because that title screen will muck with your eyes right, get off it quickly it's very stroboscopic it's just a vast raster of sort of 3d effects and it will after a while quite you know do Absolutely. your editing and especially with that piece of music going on and you will want to leave it running the graphics are really nice the coding is smooth as hell everything works everything is polished here everything is perfect almost there's some some little bugs and bits and bobs sort of thing. but on the whole this is a really smooth impressive 93 percent is about bang on for this because it's a very clever piece of software it's a very clever game and in amongst all that all in one load what they did you know like previously we said about green beret this is an incredible piece of software in 64k the, the stuff that's going on the level of detail the volume of the graphics the levels the music not just that but like the interstitial music like the bit of music when you're wandering around on foot it's lovely oh, it's brilliant the high score tune everything is i don't i've no idea how much k ram the, the music took up must have been quite a chunk which makes you know the game even more impressive a second game from galaxy burst to this I, I, I've always liked Parallax. I think it's a very clever game. It may get a bit samey a little bit later on, but I think the levels, there's not too much of it. It's just five levels. But I think this is really impressive. And and, and we know that there's even better to come from these guys. So uh, what did you think? What do you think of Parallax? I like Parallax a lot. I bought this back in the day. I liked its take on this kind of 360 scrolling, get out the ship, explorey vibe that it had going on. I thought it was very unusual and different at the time. I still do. It was quite nice to look at. The scrolling for it was really interesting. I mean, it had that kind of nice scrolly sort of vibe about it. So it had that kind of lower layer scrolling and then you had the ship and you had the things on top. So it had that parallax yeah. scrolling. Mm-hmm. Yes. I thought it's a, it's a lovely engineered game, this particular thing. I think it's... It has a nice look. That opening sequence is very dazzling, very different. You know, it's totally unusual. It's kind of filmic almost because it comes up with Sensible Software Presents and Ocean Presents. It's kind of got yeah, that filmic does, quality. Yeah. Um, so it has production value, which I think is something that a lot of the games that we've looked at simply don't have. Very few had it. Karatika and a few other games had that production value, which gave it kind of a quality just because it had that kind of build-up. So it had that. The game itself, nice graphics, nothing to complain about there. Base relief, nicely drawn. Control the ship. I think you can only go sort of up, down, left, right. I don't think these angles. I can't remember if there is. Maybe there is. I can't remember. But there yeah, is. There is. Yeah, there's, you, I think you, there's, there's, um, there's, there's north. There's north by north. There's three in each between left and yeah. right. There's three angles. You but can not get, yeah, if you're controlling the person when he comes out of the spaceship. That is only up, oh, down, no, no, left, no, no. right. No, the, the, put the person is, yeah, up, down, yeah. left, right, yeah. So, But that sort of makes for an interesting sort of notion because you've got to navigate the sort of... Lo- upper decks without being killed and there's just just some nice details in this game and the idea of going in interrogating the computers getting the right key convincing the scientists you can shoot them or you can nick their cards all of that is interesting the little people in there well we've seen that the little 
sensible software people come back in a big way later down the line and they're used in a lot of their most famous games so this is a this is a benchmark this is a good if you're going to plant a flag as a development team parallax isn't a bad old thing to get the flag and stick it in the ground with and go this is where this is the kind of baseline game quality you're going to expect from us you know really nice graphics amazing soundtrack to this game i agree with you the soundtrack feels a little bit incongruous to the game the opening music is really interesting and it's really unusual and it's really different and it is amazing does it belong in this game i don't know maybe it does maybe it doesn't but it's in of itself is amazing the in-game music is great all of the attention to detail that you would expect from martin galway is there the high score music is one of my favourite high score pieces of music of all Summoner 64 games. Hence the reason yep. we use it at the end of this podcast. It's beautiful. Everything mm-hmm. about that uh, high score. I even I remember thinking that when I when I loaded the original because you go from the ocean loader, of course, that beautiful loading screen with the spaceship and the thingy, and it sets the scene great. Then you get the you know the amazing parallax music, which you don't know what to make of when you first hear it because you see the the raster things flashing at you, and then the parallax sprites sort of spell out the word parallax in that nice sine wave it's very demo-esque it's very demo like that very yeah yeah and then you then you get into the kind of you know the whole game game parts and the game engine and the game parts of it it's an amazing thing to witness amazing is and so you playing the play the game you get into the game it's beautiful to look at amazing experience i really like it i still do i think it's just it's quite dazzling and it's quite an it's quite an interesting opening salvo from sensible software ignoring the, the galaxy birds thing so i think this is setting them up to be you know, the kind of thing that they were going to be and in that respect i really like parallax and it remains one of my sort of top games i know that they go on to do amazing games after this as well so what a start no it's it's genuinely great and i think it deserved i have to say 93 percent again hovering below the sizzler gold medal mark i don't know I maybe would have given this a gold medal. I don't know. They kind of hold back, I think, because perhaps it gets a bit samey over levels. I don't know. But um, either way, 93% in the bad score. Sizzler, yes, definitely. For your first official big game, first big success, I suppose. What a way to do it. But it is helped massively by good graphics, decent gameplay, and, of course, an amazing soundtrack. So what could you say about that? Galway, it's just, if it's worth loading up just to hear that 11-minute soundtrack, it is. It is. It's just an astonishing piece of music. It's just the way it builds and builds. It just starts off on them, that bleep, 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 and then just slowly, slowly that the bass builds in and everything. And it's astonishing. Um, and it's it, it's one of those tunes that I used to, um, when I was when I used to be in the bath, when I used to have a bath when I was a kid, I would daisy chain my Commodore 64 as long as I could fire away to get to my, my telly as close to the bathroom as I could get it. <laughs> Safely. So I could, listen to, so I could listen to that tune in the bath. There was there were various tunes that I think I did it with Green Beret as well. They were usually always Galway pieces. I have always been a Galway fan above everybody mm. else on the 64. It's always been it's always been my favorite, and this is, I think, my you know the pièce de, de résistance, should we say, of, of his, yeah, uh, of his original pieces. I'm, I'm not sure if I prefer Yeah Kung Fu, but as an original piece, this is astonishing. Yeah, it's it's a great piece of music. It's one of his best and most well known outside of Green Beret. Um, and I think you know between, I mean, the, the triple triple whammy we've had: Rambo, Green Beret, Parallax. It's just there's some astonishing talent in there on display, and I like the fact that Ocean and Sensible Software were just open to letting the guy put in this music in, because I imagine that's a pretty brave step. I mean, hopefully we'll be able to ask John Hare about that process and about exactly why and what, how that even occurred and how that came to be, because I'd really like to know at what point when you hear a piece of music and someone says to you, I've created this 11-minute opus, and you go, okay, that, that'll <laughs> go with our shoot, shoot em up 
at what point do you decide that, you know, how does that work? And, and, and I'm intrigued to know the story of that. And I'm sure we will find out. So we will. But uh, what a game Parallax is. It's great. Worthy of the 8 yeah. price tag for definite. Better, oh, absolutely. Way yes. better than anything else that Ocean were producing at the time, I have to say. And for some time yeah, afterwards. Indeed. Because we've got other Ocean games this uh, we do. this month and they are not as good, are they? Mm-mm. <laughs> uh-uh, right. It's Parallax, yes. Great game. Good way to start this part. So let's move on quickly because the next one is not as good. It is not. Our next one, Graham, it's uh, all yours, this one. This is, go on, tell us all about Hole in One. (laughs) Hole in One. I couldn't decide if they were a bit mean on this. So it's a golf game and it's, all right, it's not fast. So it's a... This is slow in comparison to Spiky Harold and Sonic. The trouble is we've had leaderboard. So leaderboard's yeah. set a benchmark. So golf games, if they're not as good as leaderboard, leaderboard is out there. But leaderboard's more expensive than this. So the question then becomes, how good a golf game is this then for two ninety nine? So the graphics are quite blocky. They're a bit ugly. They're slow to draw. So it doesn't do things quickly. It does take big chunks of leaves out of the leaderboard playbook. So you can choose your golf clubs. You can choose kind of the position of play. You can sort of make your way through a golf course. Can, and the question I ask at this is, can you play a round of golf? Yes. Is it well animated? There is animation. I wouldn't necessarily say it was well animated, but there is animation in there. A little bit laborious, <laughs> to say the least. We've been walking backwards and forwards. So this is kind of the car boot leaderboard. It's like kind of a cheap version of leaderboard. So it's two ninety nines <laughs> worth of leaderboard. So it does all the things you'd expect for a cheap and, cheap and cheerful version of leaderboard. Is it as good? No. Can you play golf? Yes. Are the graphics as good? No. But can you pick your clubs and control the power and navigate your way to the green and put the ball in the hole? Yes. Does it track any of that? Not in the kind of the same way. Is it multiplayer? I don't believe it was. I don't think so. But So it's just, you know, it's just, it's a car boot leaderboard. It's cheap. <laughs> car boot leaderboard. It, it is. That's what it is. <laughs> I feel like there was some, there was some ideas in there that was just, it was, it was obviously gated by its end value. So I, I didn't hate it. I have to say. I thought, if you couldn't afford leaderboard, this might be the next best thing you could afford. And if it was, it's not horrible. It's not amazing. And there is some you know, chunkiness about it. But you can play golf in it. Is it going to be... Is it worth just saving you money and buying leaderboard? Of course, it is. It got 38% in Zap. And I can see why it did. Because it, it's, it's a bit of a golf horror show, really. But do you know what? I loaded this up. Within two seconds, I'd hit, I figured out how to hit the ball in the power ratio kind of thing, which was a bit arbitrary, but I did it. Pit my club, hit the ball, knew what I was doing. Now, was that influenced because I'd played lots of golf games? Maybe. But I was able to pick up this game and go and play golf. For two ninety nine. that's not a bad thing to be able to do. There's other games out there that have tried sports simulations, any of those soccer games we've played at this budget price, which have been awful. So I was able to play golf. Was it slow? Yes. Was it not... 10 quids worth of leaderboard golf. Now, should I have saved for leaderboard golf? Yes, but this has the ho- all the hallmarks of an auntie's game or a grandma game that got bought for you. <laughs> have you played the golf game? I know you like golf, Adrian, so I bought this hole-in-one and that's where I'm going, is it not called leaderboard golf, is it? No, no, it's not. It's This is hole-in-one. It's like leaderboard golf, probably, but it's... No, and at that point, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'm tying your shoelaces together, so, you know, you're going to have a stumble and it might hurt, I'm just saying. So... <laughs> I didn't hate just it. End. Just, I didn't, just end. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hate it. I thought it was two ninety nines worth of golf game and you pay for what you get. So that was my take. What about you? 
Right, just before I, 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 I get into this, you've obviously looked at the issuers app. Do you have the issuers app open at uh, this present time? I do, actually, somewhere, yeah. Well, if you could turn to page 26, which has the, the review for holding does, one on. Yeah. I just want I, I can I couldn't find an advert for this, but this would have been a crap vert. But this is essentially, that, that cover is essentially zombie golf. It is a bit, isn't it? That's a bit weird. <laughs> Look at them. They're like hollow-eyed zombies playing golf. It's like Dawn of the Dead. It's like they go yeah. back to do what they remember doing. And I just think that this is zombie golf. That's what they were trying to do. Um, but other than that, though, no, because I think that's supposed to be uh, Jack Nicholas. Um, I think because it certainly looks like him. It is a bit, but I a zombie, but, but a zombie version of Jack Nicholas. Anyway, this is awful. I thought this was dreadful. There's there's one thing that I, I just want to pull you back to. What have we? What have you always said? And this has always come from you, generally more than myself. If you're gonna do these kind of phys- gonna do these kind of games where they're about balls moving. Oh, yeah, the physics has to got get, to be right. You yeah. need to get the physics right. This has got. So this has got the wobbliest physics I've seen. It's a bit flaky. There's, no, there's, there's no, there's no way of knowing. You can put an arrow where you think the ball might go, and then you can <laughs> swing that club, and that ball will go where it wants to go. Because I've, I've written here, there's no skill involved, as every shot is a physics calamity that could leave the ball anywhere. Yes, and it fe- it feels like you're going, you're playing in some kind of Stephen Hawking's nightmare of physics defying gravity or anything. Like the air will just be gusts of wind that blow it in many many directions. There's no way to know where you are on the course. You can't see the the. You can't see, so you don't know. You don't know how. Far, it says at the very beginning, it goes, "You're 340 odd yards away from the green." Okay, so you smack it, the ball just goes somewhere, and then it draws it again, and it still says you're 340 yards away. Or that's still like, there's no indication because half the time you can't see the green. Uh, this was rubbish. It's way too overly animated. It's like someone, you know, that that main guy walking backwards and forwards, and they were like, "Oh, that's good. That's great." No, just get on with it. There's no, there's nothing. I hated this. This, and I know I love leaderboard, but to me, this was a, a, a physics travesty. One of the worst physics things we've seen, and in well, that respect, know. that Steve Davis snooker was way worse than this. See, I thought that I th- I thought this was worse. No, no. But I would argue that Steve Davis's snooker is simulating twenty-two balls, trying to simulate twenty-two balls. This is just one, and it can't do that well. I think, like the Zap review. I think you're, you're in the back of your mind. You've got leaderboard, and you can't help but compare it. If you scaled down leaderboard to two ninety nine, you'd end up with this. This is too, this <laughs> yeah, is a, this, is, this is Aldi leaderboard. This is cheaper. Well, why would you? Because <laughs> I can't believe it's not leaderboard. This, yeah, exactly, but this is acce- <laughs> this is accessible golf. This is accessible leaderboard. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, it is. It's just, it's it's two ninety nine. It's pocket money leaderboard. If you want <laughs> le- real leaderboard, save your pocket money. If you want cheap and nasty leaderboard with none of the redeeming features of a quality <laughs> golf game, but you can still play around a golf, albeit weirdly, here it is. There it is right there. <laughs> this is not like any golf I know. I put this as an awful golf thing that takes every step forward made by leaderboard and loses them in the bunker. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I didn't like the control system as well. I didn't like the way that once you'd pulled your club back, you couldn't kind of adjust it. So it seemed like weird. I didn't like the control system of pulling the club because you didn't know there was no power scale or it was just floatness. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, I, I quite like the idea though. It's just you know the randomness of uh, a golf strike <laughs> was never lost on me. You know, was I going to hit it towards the flag? Was it going to go miles past? The weird thing is, I actually did quite well at this game, and I'm not exactly sure how or why, but I did. <laughs> I just of course I, you did because it's arbitrary. I played That's like the thing. a full round of golf. I was able to get round fairly quick. I was under par. 
I was just, <laughs> it just, I just, I just had a good experience with it. That's probably what it is. It's arbitrary, and that's what you don't want with a something where you've got to rely on the physics. You don't want them to be arbitrarily right every every other go. I didn't find the physics in this as much of a problem. I just, I think, oh. I just, I think my because I played leaderboard, and and don't get me wrong, the benchmark for golf games on the Commodore sixty four was not just set, but kind of set forever. So nothing was ever going to be as good ever again. And so this isn't ever going to be that good. And they make a point of making the big leaderboard song and dance in the review in Zap. But I think this is two ninety nines worth of game. So you get two ninety nines worth of leaderboard. And check out the controls, the fun, the graphics, the quality of gameplay, the physics, the ball <laughs> logic, uh, and all of that. And you end up with two ninety nines worth of leaderboard, which is what holding one is. So you know, if you want to play the board, save your money and buy that. Now that's that's. If you don't, don't fit. Don't. The thing is, you can't feel cheapened out and, and missold this game. It isn't pretending to be anything other than kind of a half-assed golf game. It's, it's if you, I think if you come at this as zombie golf, it actually makes some sense. Yeah, there it's is. Just that. A, it's just a, it's a zombie doing what he remembered in life. I mean, as soon as it drew the backgrounds, I was like, oh, we're going to be here a while. Um, <laughs> you are, <laughs> it yeah. wasn't. Uh, its graphic score in the Zap review was one of the better scores for it. Weirdly, yeah, so I don't know. I don't, this guy's Ironi- score's kind of arbitrary, anyway. Ironically, so. just as an aside, I, I know we've said about leaderboard setting the benchmark and everything, but when I sort of plan these uh, uh, plan these uh, episodes and go through stuff, so I look through Commodore User as well. Commodore User, because that re- reviewed uh, Golf Construction Set as well, which is in the same issue as Leaderboard. We didn't look at it because we don't look at construction sets. But Commodore User said in their review for Leaderboard, if I remember right, I just gave it a quick glance that if you want a proper golf game, go play Golf Construction Set. Leaderboard's not that great. Huh. <laughs> proof if proof be needed that Commodore User was full of crap. Yeah, they really were. So you really see, it's were worth bad. going look. It's worth going looking back in the issues that I've put in the drive. By the way, just they gave some of their reviews. A great review, if I remember rightly. They they did. That's in uh, yeah November's. I just seen that. I was like, oh my god, it's this green star. Anyway, like chocolate star, uh, that one. (laughs) Zombie golf, zombie hole in one. Here we go. Let's move on because we've got another sports game coming up. So this is much more expensive. This is £15 with disc only, and it is... Ooh, heavy. What is it called? G- game style something or the two-on-two basketball. Yeah. Um, there's a big name for this, but it's basically Zap have it down as two-on-two basketball. So this is a basketball game. So that's it, really. Here we go. That's it. Done. Let's move along. So this... Okay, so we've had... Inter- I believe we've only had international basketball. Can't I think, think so at this point. Yeah, I don't think had. there's been any others. Not yet. So this is... What this does is this... Um, this is... <laughs> the, in, the, in the option stakes, this is superstar ping pong to ping pong. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. you know, in the options. So, so so this is many, many options compared to, obviously, international basketball. What colours do you want your players? Yeah. And that was it, really. So this absolutely... There's loads. There's tons and tons of options here. And this is a, attempting to be quite an in-depth sort of sim and quite forward-thinking basketball game. So... You know, there's a lot here, mm, they, and they that's the reason why it's heavily, right? Yeah, and that's the reason why it's disc only. Okay, so so let's start off. You can you can practice. You can can have the full game. So how how this presents itself? So the way this presents itself, instead of seeing it from the side like international basketball, you actually just see it a half of the court from like for the I don't know how to describe it. So looking towards the basket. Yeah, yeah. So it's the best from way. So half so court to basket. Yeah. So half court to basket, and you see that going into the screen, sort of in 3D, and you run around in that area when you're attacking. You see. The same thing when you're defending you see the same thing it's just you know the other end of the court i guess so 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 it's two on two and that's what you see so you can have many you can have practice games you can play around the world or you can play horse 
I'm not going to bother. Look them, look them up. There's two modes of baskets, just scoring baskets against each other, and you, you can do those two kind of things. The classic sort of when you have a hoop and throwing balls towards a hoop you know, games you can play. You can play one versus the computer, two people versus the computer, or one and the computer versus two and the computer, which is, you know, impressive. You can do loads of types of shots, hook throws, rebounds, slam dunks, all kinds of shots going on. You can go for three-pointers. You then have to decide if you just want an exhibition game or you want to play a full-on league. So if an exhibition game, it's just a one-off one-off game of basketball. But if you're playing league, then you have to choose your division. You do this in exhibition mm. as well, but you have to choose which division you want to play in, whether you want to play in the north, the south, the east, or the west. And then you play a five-game season against the other five teams in the division. You can save your progress, because obviously it's a disc-only game, so that's quite handy. If you win the division, it's into the playoff semis, and then the final against all the other teams coming out of all the other divisions. There are tons of stats that you can look for against for the stats of all the other teams and what their, what their strengths and weaknesses is uh, percentages for shot completion you can amend your stats so inside and outside you've got they have to add up to eight with a maximum of six so i'll explain that inside is shooting from within the d is it the d and outside is where you're shooting from a three pointer Mm -hmm. and so if you want to shoot from outside and be really good at that and you give yourself six you'll be crap inside because you can only have two you can be average at both and give them four or five and three it's up to you there's three sets of stats there's dribbling and all and blocking and all that kind of thing so there's loads of different stats you can affect your other player that you pick for your team if you're doing that is a a play on certain star basketball players so i don't think there's people like sort of larry johnson the cream abdul jabal but there are names that are similar i seem to notice is that correct yeah, yeah that's yeah. what i that's what i seem to notice I'm, I'm not a massive basketball fan but that's what i seem to notice so they've all got their stats as well and and, and it's you know crazy deep so then you're into the game itself, and as I said, you play it from one half looking towards a basket. You don't control it when you're in defence. So in defence, everyone runs to the other half, so you have this little beat of everybody running into the other half, and then it flicks. While they're running into the other half, you can pick a strategy for how you want to, you know, your other player to to act. So you can tell them to go left, right, stay near the basket, stay at the back. Once there, you bounce the ball around, you can pass it, you have to angle your pass, you can shoot, they will block you. If you score, it flips around. If they steal it off you, then they run towards you and you pick a defence and so on and so forth. It's all right. I think the abundance of stats is is one thing, but the actual game itself, it's smooth and it's enjoyable getting baskets, but just a bit drab, I found. Mm. I just found it a bit dull. Um, you get that constant static sound that the C64 does that's supposed to be for crowd. Yeah. And then noise. every now and again... It, yeah, then every now and again it'll pick up for, um, you know, when you score a basket or go for one. You can walk and do that. You can get done for traveling and all the crap, all, all the sort of uh, penalties you can pick up. I just wanted to actually go from uh, net to net, court, court basket to basket, sorry. You know, don't, you know, just give me the choice. As soon as we've picked a, a thingy, let's, let's start. And I have to work my way out and then it flicks. And yeah. Rather than just having it take control away from me and running towards the other end. Yeah. And because that, that got quite old quite quickly, it just kind of... It, stop the speed of the game it, it sort of staccatoed it um it's the mm. best way i can describe it and this ruined the flow of my enjoyment of the game i don't know if that's how two on two is played maybe it is and so i don't know enough about basketball and two on two basketball whether this is actually a thing itself or whether it was just because they could fit eight sprites on the screen and so that was you know two on two is what they could do um it's ambitious 
you know, having the league and everything that you can play through. I'm, I'm not, have we come across anything where you could play in a full-on league? And I don't think so. Maybe in an American football games or anything? Did touchdown soccer no, do it? No, it didn't. Not really, no. I don't think so. So this is really ambitious in that respect. It was FA what Cup it's going football, for, maybe? That was just a competition, wasn't it? It was just yeah, one-off yeah. games and yeah, no yeah. league or anything. And maybe, you know, a bigger basketball fan than myself would probably have lapped this up back then. I think they would get a lot into this. And I think playing through those leagues and working out your stats and who's better. Because there's quite a bit of skill in scoring because you have to hold down the fire button when you jump to make him jump and shoot and... Just as you reach the sort of top arc of the jump, he'll flick his hand and that's when you let go of the fire button and that's when you've got the best choice of scoring. So there's lots to this and that will actually be seen probably in lots of later basketball games, I feel. Mm. But I just at this point, I'm the kind of person that would just prefer a quick game of international basketball and that's where I was. So it's all all the frippery around the edges, all that detail and everything is kind of a bit lost on me. But I absolutely 100% think that that is just me and I think there's an okay basketball game here that a fan of basketball would probably get. Like we said about the American football games like Super Bowl mm. uh, XX a bigger American football fan would probably get more out of it than I would yeah, so yeah. that's probably just me I, I don't know how did, how did you feel about this are you a bigger basketball fan than I no I am not a basketball fan for a number of reasons firstly I am built like a rugby player so me jumping up in the air at basketball is both dangerous and unwieldy and also I've got the throwing accuracy of a broken monkey so no uh, but personal feelings around basketball aside um, this is a neat little basketball game, and it's interesting, this. There's a lot of precursor stuff in here. So I like the perspective that it played. I like the fact that this, it was nippy enough and the sprites were quick. It didn't slow down or get all sluggish or anything like that. No, it didn't. They kept the logic of the game simple and adhered to the rules of the game, which is something that we've said is very important, and it does all of that. And in fact, you can play a good game of basketball, you can play leagues. There's a lot to this. There's a whole raft of stuff in this game, which I thought was quite interesting. Now, yes, of course you need to like basketball to really get anything from it. And if you do, I think you're going to get a lot from it. The graphics aren't terrible. They're not amazing, but they're not terrible. You can play basketball. You get the idea of the, the basketball court that you're on and the way it works. You can soon get to grips with the kind of way you try and score. Yes, it's not easy to do straight away, but you've got the practice pitch for that. So I think it, the way it presents itself is it's trying to portray a more realistic notion of basketball as a game and a computer game. And does it succeed at that? Yes, it does. It's not half bad. It gets superseded by a, by a more playable version of basketball when street sports basketball comes along later by Epics. But up to this point, there's been nothing as good as international basketball, which wasn't great, but it was okay. This is actually really, really good. It's expensive, though, and disc-based, and there's stuff that makes it a little bit less accessible, perhaps, than it could have been. But I thought it was a neat game. I thought you had a lot of options. I thought the graphics really worked in the context of what it was. Maybe a little directionally challenged in terms of the way you kind of controlled it, but and judging some of the distances when you throw, it seemed maybe a bit arbitrary because it's based on kind of a press of a joystick button and how long you hold it. But other than those things, which you could get potentially better at the more you played it, I thought this was quite a nice approach, but it reminded me of the kind of approach that leaderboard golf took to golf, is that you have options and have things that are around the edges, but just let people in and play. I think perhaps the only thing with this is perhaps it doesn't let them in enough to just get on with it. There's a little, still that little bit of um, legwork to do in understanding basketball, understanding the way it kind of works and the way you go around it. So graphically, quite nice. Gameplay, nice. Slick, fast loading. It was a nice fast loader on the disc as well. So it had a lot of good yeah, yeah. stuff going for it. I just, you know what? I, I realised that I didn't dig a lot of these sports games, apart from maybe the big compendium games, the world games and the summer games and all of that kind of thing. These sort of one-off basketball games, 
always kind of elided me, not just on the Commodore 64, but in everything, even later down the line when they came out for the Mega Drive and then all of the various fancy consoles. And the But basketball games have always been kind of a prerequisite of good quality sports games and the arcade versions of them doubly so. So this isn't a bad old game, really. I think it got, what, a uh, seven... I think it was a bit unfairly treated at 73%. I thought yeah, there, there was yeah, a lot. I, I there was a lot. There was a lot of game in there, and, and it wasn't. It's that's almost like saying it's not a very good basketball game. It's okay. I thought it was a very good basketball game. You just needed to be into basketball really to really get into that. But that was my take on it. I, I enjoyed my time with it as much as you can with a basketball game. It was all right. Yeah, I think they were a bit, they were a bit harsh in the value for money. They gave it fifty eight percent and poor, especially when you consider that international basketball is roughly a third of the price, and I say it's much better. And it may be, but I think there's 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 you know tons more to this than it. that's what i'm saying yeah, to, there than, is, to international yeah. basketball so for a basketball fan i think this is a manner from heaven this is you know they're gonna love this it's you know it's your it's your madden isn't it it's, it's people into american football it's your it's your first sight of those kind of like playing a league yes. play loads yes. of games get better at it and that that's you know all the things you that you want these your games FIFA's, to do your NBA games, your Maddens, your NHL hockey ones, everything. Later down the line, the football games that became stupidly popular were the ones that had leagues. They weren't just games that you sort of went start match play. You won five two. They had more to it. You had players and names and things and sensible pioneered that maybe in the football world. But this idea that a, the basketball is 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 the game that you play, but there's other stuff around that that's equally quite cool and can have an impact on how you manage and play the game. Does that come at an expensive price tag at a disc only? At this point, disc only isn't a bad thing. It's 15 quid's about the standard price for a disc only game. So I think they're being overly harsh on that, I think. That's my take on it, I think. I, I'm, I'm in agreement. It's not a bad game. It's just, I think, yeah, for a... For a basketball fan, this is your your go to. I think at this point, Absolutely. but if you want to, I think I think it's right though. If you just want a quick game of basketball, then it's international basketball. Absolutely, and I'd be very interested to know which was the first cracking group that cracked two on two basketball's loader. So I suspect it's probably going to be somebody like Fairlight or Ikari. But I'd be quite interested to know because I I remember having two on two basketball. I don't remember ever paying for it though. So somebody somebody broke that game. I think along the line. But there you go. Probably there we go. <laughs> So we've got one more game coming up. What is that game? Well, that game, Graham, you're going to tell us all about Druid. I am. And I am pleased to say that this is the final game because Druid's a great game. That's why I put it here. It's <laughs> um, So let's just go for what it is. This is an arcade-inspired game. You play the part of a druid called um, Hazrinax, and you've got to rid the world of the dark mage, uh, somebody called Akmantor, who's got a, I say, army of demons. There's four demons. And you have to make your way through the world, avoiding the enemies, picking up the various different kinds of spells that would help you on your journey. As part of those spells, you've got water, you've got fire, and you've got elemental spells, amongst others, keys. You can pick up these things, explore treasure chests. So on the top side of this, so on the left-hand side, you've got the RPG-ish looking explore the world, find the treasure chests get the stuff out find the keys open the doors avoid the things get the chaos spells to kill the demons if you kill enough of the demons across the levels then you win the game that's the right hand side and the various different spells that you pick up the water fire and electricity have different kinds of impact on the enemies so some of them are more 
potent on some of the enemies that you face. So that's the game. And I'll come to the sort of control of the second character in it in a moment. So that's the game. On the right-hand side, on the left-hand side of this, it's Gauntlet. So it has a Gauntlet-style mentality, something they note in the review. Now, Gauntlet, is, at this point, isn't out on the Commodore 64. It's an arcade game. A four-player dungeon quest RPG not even RPG, a four-player arcade-based dungeon explorer, dungeon-a-thon. Uh, in the arcade, for Gauntlet, there's four players, an elf, a warrior, a wizard, and wizard. and a warrior um, woman, I think, is it? I think it's a warrior woman, I think. I can't, or thief. Uh, thief, it's a archer. thief. Archer. Thief, isn't it? Yeah, thief, thief, yeah. So thief, warrior, archer, wizard. Classic Dungeons and Dragons quartet. And in yeah. Gauntlet... You are put in a dungeon, you are constantly attacked by wave after wave after wave of spawning enemies who have spawn points that spawn and attack you and you can shoot them and beat them and punch them and kick them. But either way, your energy is constantly going down. You need to find the various potions and things to do that. And you explore these dungeons, get the keys, go through, get to the next level. That's Gauntlet. So Druid borrows heavily from that in that the enemies that you place, the ghosts and the monsters and the things that spawn from these spawn points in the game are constant and they're always at you and you have an energy meter that can slowly trundle down, which you can replenish at certain points. But the it's kind of a one-player gauntlet in that respect, apart from the character I'm going to mention in a minute. So there is a lot of borrowings from the concept of a gauntlet-style game. The, the way it kind of segments the level, which is kind of a scrolling environment. So it's kind of a, a 360 scrolling environment, and you're the wizard in the sort of controlling around and navigating your way around little rooms and things, and there's doors to unlock, a la gauntlet. And that's all nice. And the, one of the really nice features of this is that it's actually there's a second character in it called Gollum, which you can either have an auto golem which goes out and just kind of beats up enemies on your behalf and does that kind of stuff and you can there's a little mini control system to send it out to do stuff for you or a second player in with a joystick in port 2 can control golem so when you launch the golem spell it launches this second character and that character can then go off and do stuff so beat all enemies up and do everything on your behalf so there's a two player game in there which is kind of unusual the dynamic of that second player is kind of unusual in this game and that combined with the nice-looking graphics, which are quite nice, simple-ish, but nice-looking sprites, quite chunky size, but nice. The layout of the levels, the way it plays like Gauntlet, but is actually, I would argue, better than Gauntlet, and in fact, better than the conversion of Gauntlet on the C64. I think that Druid actually serves you up a really decent little explorer slash arcade explorer, shoot em up, hack and slash. I don't even know what you really call this at this point. So it's a good game, Druid. I, I, mean, I bought Druid back in the day. I saved up my money and bought Druid. I bought it based on the screen grabs. I really liked Gauntlet in the arcade. The only place I played that was in Cleethorpes at the time. There was an arcade in uh, in Smith's Arcade, which is the only working Gauntlet I've ever seen in my life. Um, so there was a Gauntlet in there, which I played, which I was interested so there's a lot to like in druid yes the graphics are a bit blocky but they they it's a very playable game space the pace of the game is fast it never slows down there's nice rpg elements to this in the in the way you pick up objects and keys and other spells and things like that the two-player element with the golem is a lot of fun i think firebird who released this must have thought it was christmas when the guy worked up with this <laughs> because they yeah. must have, you know because you know they, they would have happily placed a turd in a cassette case and gone there we go it's called turdy game on the Commodore 64 inspection. <laughs> so they must have thought that all their Christmases would come at once because this is genuinely brilliant. It is difficult. There are difficulty spikes, you know, and, and as with all these games, it has an arcade logic which makes it kind of tough. But I think that there's two things I would say at the end of this, my little spiel about this game. One, generally download this game or find it and play it because it is actually very, very good. It's followed up by an amazing sequel as well. Loads of other good stuff happens, but 
a very important game, Druid, in that it presents itself as a very playable arcade version of something that was never made as well as this game. Secondly, its 88% score, I think, was a absolute travesty. This should have been in the 90s. I'm not saying gold medal, but this should have been a sizzler. I, I, I think it was harsh. It was $7.95, so this was lower price than a full price game. And I think 88%, I don't I don't quite get that myself. But I always have a lot of time for Druid. It's a very enjoyable game. And of course, we all know that the Druid soundtracks and stuff later become ubiquitous and famous for lots of other reasons. But Druid is a very enjoyable Commodore 64 gauntlet variant, but better than Gauntlet ever was on the Commodore 64. But well, that's my take. What about you? No, I'm um, in full agreement. I really have always liked Druid. I think it's a great little game. And I think actually calling it a great little game has actually been a bit insulting to it. It's not a great little game. It's just a great game. It feels little. It yeah. feels... It, there's something about it that just feels... Intimate. Intimate. Uh, intimate yeah there's a there's a thing to it and, and it is it is you know I, I don't remember thinking the gauntlet version on c64 was that great we'll come to it that wasn't. down the line so we will see i'm trying to think of other ones maybe into the eagle's nest was quite good and i remember dandy being crap but there's not you know of, of these type of gauntlet style games i have a big uh, affinity for druid i've got to agree with pretty much everyone you want i do love the intro tune it's really well presented and this is really the first of the like the 8-bit gauntlet like so i think gauntlet yes. is relatively newish at this point isn't it it's not yeah so we're seeing this top-down shooter rather than absolutely you know, it's got great presentation uh, like the title screen showing the high scores or the, the bit where you see the enemies coming on it tells you the different enemies and then there's that really nice druid pick with the laughing demon in, yeah, the, yeah. in the sort of mirror as used in the famous demo that we made but there you go. it was yes indeed there's a lot of care and attention has been put into this game the design and i'll come to the design in a bit is obviously there's a lot of thought here so you, you the levels are nicely designed everything looks good it's it's bright yeah. it's bold it's colourful um, there's lots of colour on display um, the enemies are simple but work you know the different types you've got ghosts beetles demons all kinds of different things um, there's a nice strategy to it in that your three combat spells fire yeah, water and and um air uh, electri- electricity electricity <laughs> yeah earth wind and fire um, <laughs> uh, the three the three spells you have earth electricity and fire do different damage to certain enemies. So you need to fire them. Some will kill them in one shot, some mm. take three. That's quite good to see. The use of the golem is an excellent touch, making it into a suddenly into a two-player sort of game where the other player can take a lot of damage it's for you and go off and kill stuff and, and, and really good. Nice. My only one little niggle with this is that playing on your own, and I found this playing it when I was playing this for this podcast, it can get a bit fiddly playing on yes. your own. Casting, you know, you've got the spells and everything on the thing. You've got a control golem. You've got to figure out which spells do which. They're flicking between them. And it's not like one, two, three to pick its P. So P just cycles through them, which I thought could have been easier if they were one, two, one, two and three. You can just select which one you want at any given moment. Would have been easier. And that's my only beef with it. I think this is a game that is better as, as most of these things are, but it's actually easier yeah. and better with two players. On your own, it's a challenge. But that it challenge is. comes from micromanaging the controls as well as... Because it's all in real time. It doesn't slow down or anything. You're constantly getting bombarded with enemies. Mm. And so that, that can become quite tricky and it's quite easy to get just get stuck. And, and I think also as well, it's quite easy to get stuck on some of the, the, the sprites and the landscape a bit. It's some tricky a bit to get around. It's a nice UI though, the way where the energy goes down is like a little twirly bar. Uh, oh, absolutely, like yeah. The, the, the visuals and the pres- presentation, that you know, the UI across the top, the, the use of the spells and everything and the scrolling, it's all very smooth. Interesting fact about this game, and I don't know if you know this, the designer is Dean Carter. 
know who Dean Carter that. is? Have you heard Bobby's, the name? Bobby Carter's brother. <laughs> well, Dean Carter will go on to make quite a few games. He does the design and enlightenment. He will also go to the Warlock Avenger, but then he will go on to do Dungeon Keeper. Right, okay, so... But more importantly, Fable. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, and Fable Lost Chapters, Proper Fable 3, lineage. Fable Anniversary. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Dean Carter is, you know, goes on to work on Xbox and everything. So this is where he starts. He designs Druid. He designs Enlightenment. He's a game designer, and he's done all these kind of things through... Uh, he does Warlock the Avenger, which I think looks very much like a Druid as well. I've not played that one. That's 1991. But yeah, Dungeon Keeper, Dungeon Keeper, Deeper Dungeons, Gold Edition, Fable, Lost Chapters. You can see that this, you know, the, it has this design. I didn't know that. Yeah, and that's what I mean. So when you look at this game, you can see... This yep. has been designed by a game designer. Yes. And we talk about this a lot, I think, in, in this podcast, that some games are made by people who can code and some games are made by people who can do graphics and some people are musicians. But what a lot of games we talk about is they lack a game design. They like someone to think about the overall design of the game itself. Yes. And I think the thing with Druid and the reason why it stood the test of time and the reason why it's still such fun to play today is because it's got a clear design to it. Yes. It's well designed. Yes. You know, everything seems thought out and works. And yes. from even at this stage in 1986, there's a there's a there's a level of thought behind this game, and I think that's why it stood out. Because yeah. this could have been a cheap cheap knockoff gauntlet, you know, just run around and hack stuff around. But it's not. There's loads more depth to it. There's loads more yes. elements to it, and there's loads more things to it. And that's why I think this works. So I thought that was an interesting rationale behind why this does work. That it is. That, it is interesting. Know. And you know, my my last thought on this was, you know. This reminded me, if we'd have given the challenge of making this kind of game to the students that we've taught, I can guarantee that Adam would have been the guy that came up with this. Yeah, probably. With its polish, with its finish, with its design. Because, you know, and I know we've we've got many talented game students that we've had in the past and they've gone on to amazing things. But I just, in my gut, I think if, if ever there was a game that had the Adam stamp on it, it would be this one. Because it just, it just struck me as, you know, having watched him develop all that time for all the different games he'd made, it just... It has that kind of level of polish, and that was always his thing. It was his level of finish and detail, which is what this has got. So totally cool game, interesting historically, and I didn't know that about it, which really does paint an amazing picture of where this guy began and where he was going to head. Amazing, amazing to know that. Yeah. I mean, his first game was something called Rockman, which I've not played, 1985, and he was buying, but yeah, this was designed by him. So interesting, um, and I think uh, a good game to end on for our games for this for this episode absolutely so there we go we'll come up with a quick roundup but we've actually we've got some crap verts that we're going to move on into get on to these because we've got we've got a few i found loads this month the crap verts were back so we've got some oh, this this week and next week our first one is uh oh lord it's <laughs> the hessian back nightmare that is highlander <laughs> So um, this is the advert for... There's an excellent... In the next episode, or in the next issues of the magazines, they've redone the advert and it's much, much better. Because um, yeah. obviously they've looked at this. This is just knocked out quick. Get a quick Highlander's coming out. We need we need an advert for it. So somebody's knocked together... A, it's got the Highlander logo across the top. It's got a, literally a Hessian background. Yeah, And in the middle Hessian, of that, the, 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 there's a, a big chunk of very small text. And this very chunky bit of small text is just describing... Two of them fighting in Madison, beneath Madison Square Garden. It's the fight in Highlander. It's the beginning sequence in it, I think, of yeah. Highlander. A unique brand of man related to duel down the ages. So they're talking about being in 20th century, he's 450 years old. What picture have they picked? Christopher Lambert in his Scottish gear from 400 years ago. <laughs> 
pulling a terrible face mm. and in the background is obscured they've obscured the rest of his a bit close with his face and then they've got a couple mm. of smaller shots of him looking a bit nonplussed in one <laughs> and then with his sword in the other it's a crap advert it's a terrible terrible highlander advert for all many reasons but just that main picture they've picked of christoph lambert well just just <laughs> Let's just slow down a minute because there's so much wrong with this. It's beyond I knew you'd belief. Love this. Beyond belief, right? So I'm going to start at the top, right? So fa- aside from the weird Highlander font and the Hessian background, bad. The fact that it says there can be only one, and you've got four images of the same guy, that in itself is stupid logic. The fact that they cover up cover up his face with a really bad version of himself, and I and I think that it looks to me, and I could be wrong, but in his as you face him, his left hand. The sword looks like that was drawn in. That hand looks drawn. So I'm not sure that that is actually... I think they've added a bit to that to make it look like he's wielding a big broadsword because I'm pretty sure that is drawn, not an actual photograph, which is the rest of it is a photograph. Then as you work your way down, the diamond that they framed this in, the diamond that they framed this in, (laughs) um, you go to the left testicle, which is where you've got a picture of Mr. Nash wielding his samurai sword in a giant pervo mac really which is from the film okay and then on the right testicle you've got again a conor mcleod for some reason in his scottish outfit but look at that sword on the left they've just superimposed it they've just drawn that in if you zoom in on the sword he's got the samurai sword in his left hand and his right hand they've just superimposed a bad or photoshopped maybe a bad version of the sword over the image to make it look like it's in his hand it's really crap oh god yeah they have haven't they yeah for, i can't I can't explain why they've done that. I don't want to know. Then you've got at the bottom of the diamond, you've got the ocean logo, which is dis- disproportionately big. Then you've got the, for some reason, the address of the software company, which makes no sense to have it there. Why? I'm going to totally redo this advert, by the way. Why have you got that in there? And then and the bottom left, you've got the three screen grabs of the various versions, which don't make it look very good. Aside from the giant sword... I on think the they're all from the Commodore 64 version. They are, which makes you realise that they, it, it almost looks at that point that it's Robin of the Hoodie. I think that was on purpose. I think because you could look at the tiny screens and go, oh, the graphics look okay on that. We know that they're not. No, we know but they're not. Everything about that. And what makes me laugh is this this Highlander battle hasn't been going on for just 450 years. It's been happening eternally. So yeah. when they say, just, you know, he's been living for 450 years, it's like, uh, I'm not just... Don't put the logic of the film in because it doesn't make any sense anyway. There's also as well, no, nobody's proofread this as well because in the middle it says the duel is deadly earnest. Oh, don't get me started on that t- that copy in that middle. In that badly drop-shadowed box, which, by the way, is the ribbon effect from Photoshop, which is this, one of the only effects of a one of the what they're called it's almost their drop in elements that you could just drop in as a as yeah. into any page in photoshop like a templated i forget the name of it like a, a stamp but that particular one they've 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 got a drop shadow on it in the same color as the actual thing so it's not a drop <laughs> shadow it just like looks like there's one underneath like you it's should lift that box. up and under, underneath it so it's not really <laughs> or this like it's like a ticket I don't know if this is also this is copy from the actual film because it doesn't make. It, we've said about we, you know, the film makes no sense. But no. this, this, the, 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 the says the last second to last sentence is the distant time is now. Then it's not distant. It doesn't make any sense. The fact that the image of Connor McCloud in the middle of the diamond looks like he's just been uh, someone's pushed a frozen sausage up his ass. <laughs> Which, he's been grain gilled. He's gone. Ah. <laughs> 
It's like, and then that's what happens. If you're in a kilt, you're not wearing any pants, and someone pushes a frozen, uh, a thick frozen sausage right up your bum bum cheek. You can uh, only that's put it. one. Exactly. <laughs> there can be only one. There that's two. One. That's two. Man out, man Sorry, but the idea of a Highlander that's got four images of the same person when the very first line is there can be only one tells me that this is stupid beyond belief. And I am pretty sure, and I could be wrong, and you might want to correct me on this, but tartan is the official pattern of kind of Scottish stuff, not Hessian. So it just makes it look like the background's been drawn on a sack. It's just a sack, yeah. It's just like kind of a cloud sack race. Oh, just just bad, 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 bad. It's a bad advert. It's a a classic crabvert. I am going to redo that one. Like I've done a couple of the others. I'm going to redo that one. And I know there's a new version, but I'm, I'm going to redo it anyway. So okay. just stupid. Okay. Bad. So the next one. Now this, there's a reason I've put this one in. So this is uh, a couple of games coming up from uh, FTL, which is the Fast and Lights. This is for Light Force and Shockway Rider. Now in all the other magazines, these pictures were the right colour, which is <laughs> the colour that you remember them. Here, someone's printed the colours out wrong and still actually forwarded the ma- forwarded the co- copy to the thing. Um, not only wonder. that, but the but the yeah. So it's all in sort of the shades of purple and green. When it's not supposed to be, because everything else, every other advert I've seen for this is the right colours for light force and everything. Weird colours. There's a lot of green in there, isn't there? A lot of green and purple, but also as well, there's some some of this copy as well. There's a lot of it as well. Yeah, well, the line at the back bottom of the light force bit thing says light force at the speed of light from FTL. Mm. Well, it, it, well, if it's the speed of light, it's not faster than light. Yes. So there's some there's some contradictory bits here, and and I don't particularly like that shockwave. I mean, it's all right, but it was just the fact that the, the quality control had clearly gone out the window. It's no. like oh, so, somebody's oh no, you printed it in the wrong. Just send it anyway. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. These print it. The text on this advert reads like a scroll text from a 1987 demo from a European demo group. That's what I thought as well. Yes. So light force is for vengeance. Lots of no dots. Lots of full stops. Load light force dots. is the punishment arm of the galactic fighter command. When a Terrence, it doesn't make any sense. It's just stupid nonsensical. Like yeah. it just says light force fighter at one point. And also the top bit, just to uh, annoy your typographical annoyances. Games at the speed of light from FTL where they're faster than light, so that makes no sense. But dot mm-hmm. dot dot. But the speech marks over the dots. Oh, don't don't. It's just that light force confronts alien. In a dazzling battle above the strange <laughs> yeah. landscapes of the ice planet, the jungle planet, alien factories, and the impassable asteroid belt. I don't want to play a game that's got an impassable anything. Because no, it's impassable. No, just stupid. And then Shockway, because Shockway Riders is quite a, it's really a, a really odd game, and I'm sure we'll come yeah, to that. It will, um, yeah. But it, I am pretty sure it says Shockway Riders are the picket of these street gangs. Athletic, aggressive, and arrogant. I'm pretty sure that is just the Tinder <laughs> profile for the people that made this game. <laughs> Probably as they cruise along the triple speed moving walkways. Yeah, so the, oh, the, the great mega mega cities. Yeah, where okay. did they borrow that from? I wonder. Yeah, the ultimate yeah. aim. Why are these these mad capitals? Because we now know that as shouting. Back then, I suppose they didn't. But the ultimate aim of every rider is to go full circle. Why is full circle in speech, Max? Who said that? It's <laughs> the I'm ultimate just... future shock. It says to do that, he must fight off the block boys, the cops, and the vigilantes. Which is, I'm not sure if that's right. As well with one L as negotiating the speed traps and rider ramps erected hey, up, by the angry local reds. Oh, it's just crap. I'm glad you picked that out, actually. Aside from the really odd colour scheme, it's a crappy, <laughs> crappy advert. And funnily enough, both got Rob Hubbard soundtracks for those games, uh, haven't they? So They have. Light Force is particularly good. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Life Force is one of my fave Hubbardy soundtracks. Shockwave Rider isn't mm. a bad old crack, but the games yeah. are, you know, this, if this is the best that uh, comes out of Tipton, then uh, I'm not sure <laughs> these adverts are not great. And it's got that bloody awful, stupid, that FTL writing has got that kind of, you know, metallic-y stroke effect. It's got that kind of, you know, gradiated. It's more more 80s than 80s. Yeah, dual gradiation. So it gradiates from purple to kind of light pink, black, you know, mysterious line. And then you've got the... Yeah, but none of those colours are right. No, they're not right, and it's they've come out. They've come out right. No, and it's faster than wrong. And it's raster, but yeah, and it's it's faster than wrong. Yeah, it's nothing can go faster than light, and these games certainly don't. So, no egg dog, make of that what you will. All right. So our last one is for (laughs) right. Just before you before you get into this, because there's there's a bit that's that killed me when I read this. But this is for Montezuma's Revenge, featuring (laughs) Panama Joe. Now, Montezuma's Revenge is obviously now an an unfortunate euphemism for uh, a problem you might have uh, down below. (laughs) <laughs> um, so it's uh, having the squits, I guess, isn't it? Oh, dead for yeah. a case of Montezuma's revenge. Yeah, yeah. But read the text. It says, "I had to think quick. Remember where I seen that key, or I'd be hot footing it over a fire pit." That's when the headbone. Yeah. That, that's a skull. <laughs> we call it a skull. <laughs> when has anybody ever call called it, it a headbone? <laughs> you. I'm sorry to say, Mister Mills, but you fractured your headbone. Are you <laughs> a medical doctor? <laughs> I'm sorry, get, um, can you get me a real doctor? Because nobody has ever referred to a skull as a headbone in this never, in my time. It's never. hilarious. The, the, the picture shows, right, so now let's, this, this, was, this wasn't going to be no day at the beach. Right, okay, fair enough. <laughs> then we see the picture with the headbone coming at him. Whose hand is that? Because <laughs> it's not his. He's got a firm grip on that joystick, I'm telling you. That's, that's, a breaking board, that joystick. that's, that's borderline phallic, that is. That's, that thing's going to go off. <laughs> oh, dear. But it's just, I also, there's many things I don't like about this advert. That's one of them, that stupid headbone. But also the uh, the yellow <laughs> teeth at the side. <laughs> the first line of that little text on this, if you've got a mind like Einstein, fair enough, and the reflexes to match what the reflexes of a, you know, a 70-year-old <laughs> physics professor. <laughs> he was always, he was, he was known quite well for his... Uh, yeah, uh, he was reflexes. Was, Einstein. I tell you what, that guy had the dexterity of a fox. He could <laughs> leap around. <laughs> it's a revolutionary game that challenges you to think smart and react fast. Join Panama Joe trademark. Why did they trademark that? Join mm. Panama Joe's search for buried treasure. Figure a way to get him over the fire pit behind the locked doors through a. I don't like rooms. those yellow teeth either. It's it's making it's bad, me uneasy. It? Yeah, they do things like that though. They feel like they have to edge things and. I quite like the Databyte logo at the bottom. I quite like the way it's presented. It's got a proper drop shadow on it. Never a bad thing. Oh, yeah, that's that's okay. But headbone and yellow teeth. But, you know, they're trying to push this whole Panama Joe thing. If you don't have a context for something, then it means nothing. They may as well call him, you know, you know Peanut Phil. Cause... Well, wait till we get to the ones for next month. <laughs> <laughs> don't Montezuma's look at him yet. And who's Montezuma? And why aren't you explaining why it's a revenge plot? Why is it, a, anyway... He does look worried, doesn't he? He's got very bulgy eyes and a very big handlebar moustache old there. He's got a massive, well... It's Panama Joe. Do you remember, um, you might not remember, you might remember, in uh, the Thundercats TV cartoon, the original cartoon show, there was actually a character in it called Safari Joe. So I wonder if they've borrowed a bit of that for this. But I'm pretty sure that... I'm still alarmed by his grip strength on that joystick and the way he's bending it forward. There's, my feeling is he's not He's not thinking about his, uh, his endangerment. He's thinking about making himself... Uh, <laughs> No, there's, there's <laughs> well, that's some, not his hand. That's really that's, not his hand. That's someone else's hand on his joystick going to go, and that thing's going to go off. You know, that is that that is 
That is a firework ready to go kaboom. That that is properly Iron Grip McGee. There is gonna you know that's is that is the classic sign of someone that's been edged and they are they are going (laughs) for a uh, yeah they're going for something that uh, we don't want to talk about now something uh, horrible. Yeah, his headphones about to pop. It bloody well is, isn't it? I like the way they tried to put they tried to put motion blur on the headbone there. But it actually just makes it look blurry. <laughs> it's not motion blur. It's not motion blur. That's just blurry. Motion blur requires actual more mo- an idea of motion. It applies to everything that's in motion, not just the back of the skull. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, true, true. There we go. A, a welcome return of some good crapverts there, oh, I feel. That Highlander one's my favourite. There can be only one, apart from these four images. <laughs> it's all the same person. Yeah, kind of yeah. kind of gives the plot of the film away. Frozen sausage. <laughs> <laughs> I defy anyone to look at that image now on our on our website and not go. Yeah, that is properly Highlander in brackets. The frozen sausage edition. There you go. <laughs> right there we go. I think we finished there. We have. Uh, that's good. Right. So, what games did we look at this week? We looked at quite a lot. We looked at nine, in fact. So we had Iridis Ooh. Alpha, Spiky Harold, War. What was it good for? Nothing. It was better than Hoodoo Voodoo. <laughs> we looked at the rather pleasant looking Equinox. We looked at Parallax, the wobbly physics of holding one, the uh, optioned madness of two on two basketball, and then rounded off with a well designed Druid and some crap verts there. So, that's it for this episode. We'll be back next week where we will be carrying on our look at the games for October. 1986 um we've got a whole plethora of vehicle based madness coming your way so many vehicles so many vehicles along with some some hacking some heading to hollywood some collapsing some plagiarism of the highest order <laughs> i can't wait for that and some horror so please stay with it well not actually please stay with us because if you stay with us we've got about 10 seconds we'll be gone so come yeah come back next week we'll be looking at all those and plus film and tv from october 1986 so as ever I have been Adrian Mills. I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Zapped to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap 64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.